For the 2022 Halloween special, I am producing an audio drama reenacting the 1938 broadcast of the War of the Worlds radio play. This is one of a few audio dramas that really got me loving radio plays from back in the days. They are what inspired me to do all of these skits and specials you hear on this podcast. I've listened to so many old school radio plays since I was a kid because I love it. Before phones and before TV, people would gather around the radio just to listen to these awesome radio plays that told amazing stories. Today's technology enables me to do this at the comfort at my own home instead of a studio like they had to do back then. I love it. I always go way above and beyond than I have to. In fact, every episode I write, produce, and manage, I do it as if I I was getting paid hundreds of dollars an hour to do so. And I don't. Actually, all of us here at Out of Place don't get paid anything. Everything you hear are people that either want to practice so that they can get ready to work for big studios and gaming and movies or even TV shows. Some are just treating it like an awesome hobby like I do. What makes me a good producer is all the wonderful people I get the honor to work with. I thank God all the time for putting everyone I've met through this podcast in my path. I produce the Out of Place podcast for fun while at the same time learning to be a producer for future stuff that I will go more into in January. I got a big announcement to share with you all at the top of next year. You're going to have to wait. I love producing these episodes and all the audio dramas for you fantastical listeners. All you have to do is bring your imagination and the sound effects, music, and the voiceover artists I provide you with will help you enhance that imagination. Anyways, what I love about the War of the Worlds radio play is that it created some chaos as some people thought it was really happening. We still have that problem today. You know those type of people. The one that treat opinions as facts and give nothing but hate and judgment just by reading headlines. Yeah, they, those people, caused unnecessary chaos back then. I knew that whole story behind it before I listened to the radio play in high school. So when I actually listened to it, I pretended that I was one of those people who thought it was real. I treated the radio play like if it was really happening. And I enjoyed the hell out of it going into it like that. After that, I've been wanting for so long to recreate the War of the Worlds. And finally, I can make that happen with the help of my fantastic host. And of course, with the help of these amazing voiceover artists, I constantly meet over at castingcall.club. In the description, I'm going to leave the 1938 broadcast so that you can listen to it after this or at a later time. With that said, Rachel Reagan will be co-hosting this evening. As some of you loyal listeners know, she used to be a host on this podcast. Until Stephen fired me. No, I didn't fire you. You know I'm just kidding. I know. But yeah, she used to do the sex talk segment. Rachel covered super fun topics. And naughty. <laughs> Hopefully your listeners didn't become a bunch of prudes because I'm not there to help them. You know what I should do? Give me my very own show. Fun with Rachel or the Rachel Reagan show. Hey, you joke, but I would love for you to have something like that on here. But I should make a compilation of all the sex talk segments you did and post it on YouTube or something so people could just listen to all of your bedroom tips. Perfect. I think your sexy listeners would love that. And I'm thinking of doing the same for uh, Big Vinny and Lenny. So how are you? I'm really excited for that Vinny and Lenny Christmas special. Me too. In fact, listeners, Rachel will be playing herself. 
as well as Lenny's mom. I had fun playing Lenny's mom. Oh, and that part where I got to kick Lenny's wife's ass. <laughs> Speaking of Lenny's wife, I'm hoping she could reprise her role for the Christmas special too. She's going to be part of the Ghost of Christmas Past scene. Ooh, a sneak peek. I like the way you worked that in there. Yeah. So, Rachel, how are you doing? I'm just trying to survive in all this craziness, but I'm not too bad. I'm somewhere between good and better. <laughs> How about you? Can't complain. That's good. I mean, I've tried, but no one listens. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, I stole that from somewhere. Can't remember, but yeah. You thief. So, would you like to introduce the first segment for us? Yeah, sure. The first segment we will be listening to is The Rachel Reagan Show. <laughs> Just kidding, my lovelies. The first segment is What the Brit. Enjoy. Hey, kids, it's The Brit Nolan Show, where you'll see that your mom's a holy moly. You won't learn anything. Except morning on your neighbor's ring. That's what you get when you listen to What the Brit. You'll realize that we're all just pieces of shit. Soon blind with poopy rats on his ass. Me, why I'm so high. Drop the pants and show off your big giant ballroom. Use it the place where we can all play together forever and ever. Here is Brit sitting on the beat. It's a crisp Sunday night. And I decide it's about time that I try one of those adult Happy Meals. They're limited time. I'm smitten for limited time deals. Somehow, they always just call me in. So I go to the drive-thru. I place my order, the 10-piece chicken nuggets with a upgraded large strawberry milkshake. That's it. You know, it's pretty much just the same thing they have on the menu except comes in a box. And it will have some kind of toy, a throwback toy, so I'm told. As I'm waiting for my food, I turn up the radio, and I hear a familiar 90s song, and then my thoughts start to drift towards them. And then the person at the window interrupts. Here's your milkshake? I take the milkshake. And your box? I take my Happy Meal. My adult Happy Meal. I put it in my lap, and I drive to find a spot in the parking lot. I proceed to open the meal. I take out the straw, and I take a long... <laughs> of that delicious strawberry milkshake. And then I must open the mystery toy. Lo and behold, it's just a little grimace figurine. Creepy. It's got four eyes, and its eyebrows are on the top of its head like a halo. The smile's crooked, and it's threatening me with an overpowering hug. Ugh. Did I seriously just spend like an extra $5 on this compared to the regular one without the toy? Yeah, <sighs> these ads, they always get me. Despite constantly being aware and complaining about them, I fell for it again. I don't even want to see his face. So I proceed to eat my meal and I turn up the music a little bit louder. The song's still playing and my thoughts, they continue to drift toward Leela and Raymond Howard. Questions plague my mind. What could have prevented their demise? Did they suffer? How many chances were there to save them that were just wasted? How many warning signs were ignored? But what really gets me is not knowing. How did it all end? The following is a true story. On a Sunday, June 29th, 1997, an elderly couple, Leela and Raymond Howard from Salado, Texas, decided that they were going to go to a festival in Temple, a nearby town. It was supposed to be only a 15-minute trip. The couple departed that morning, despite earlier objections by Leela's son, who had begged to drive his mother and father instead. Leela declined, saying, No, son, we know where we're going. We go every year. 
Their son's concern stemmed from the fact that his 83-year-old mother was showing signs of Alzheimer's and was often confused at things. For instance, Leela meant to show up at a Walmart one morning at 10.30 a.m. Instead, she arrived at 10.30 p.m., very confused as to why the sun wasn't out yet. And 83-year-old Raymond wasn't too much better due to a recent brain surgery done to combat a stroke and a head injury. Leela and Raymond weren't even aware of their severe mental decline, so they left for the festival that morning without even telling their other adult son, who lived just the house next door. The afternoon passed, and the Howards didn't return home. However, at a local Walmart in Temple, a greeter there remembered seeing Leela and Raymond come in for their coffee during the afternoon. After that, the couple's movements could not be accounted for. The several children between the two had become immensely worried for their parents' safety, so they contacted the authorities, and a missing persons bulletin was posted that day. The Howards remained missing. Three days later on Wednesday, July 2nd, a newspaper article was published in the Austin American Statesman about the missing couple, titled, Elderly Salado Couple Missing on a Trip to Nowhere. It read, Leela and Raymond Howard are on a four-day road trip into thin air. The Central Texas couple, in their 80s with diminishing health, somehow have turned a 15-mile journey for a cup of coffee and a party into a 500-mile-plus misadventure with no known destination. That same day, a deputy in rural Arkansas pulled over Leela for driving with her headlights off, as it was nighttime. Leela and Raymond were 500 miles away from their original starting point in Salado, Texas. The deputy later noted that Leela was polite, gentle, and acted just like my grandmother. When Leela stated that they were trying to get back to Texas, the deputy informed them that they were headed in the wrong direction if they were trying to return to that state, so he gave them directions. The deputy then asked Leela where she lived, but she couldn't remember. The couple were pulled over again about a half hour later for driving with their high beams on. The deputy also let them go. Neither of the deputies knew about the newspaper article, nor that the Howards were missing persons. The Howards once again disappeared. The next day, on Thursday, July 3rd, there was another article about the Howards. They had allegedly been spotted at a farmer's market in Arkansas, and authorities in 11 states were on the lookout for them. Hello, listeners. We interrupt What the Brit to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. At 20 minutes before 8 Central Time, Professor Farewell of Mount Jennings Observatory in Chicago, Illinois, reports observing several explosions of incandescent gas occurring at regular intervals on the planet Mars. The spectroscope indicates the gas to be hydrogen and moving towards the Earth with enormous velocity. Professor Pearson of the Observatory of Princeton confirms Farewell's observation and describes the phenomenon as, quote, like a jet of blue flame shot from a gun, unquote. We now return you to What the Brit. On Friday, July 4th, another article stated that authorities had narrowed their search to three specific counties in Arkansas. There were no further developments in the search until Wednesday, July 9th, when the couple's story was covered on the CBS Morning News Show. Yet another newspaper article was published about the Howards in the Austin American Statesman, making the front page. The article's editor, Denise Gamino, stopped by the Howards' house, and the signs of the couple's mental decay was obvious. There was folded clothing still laying on the couple's bed, as if they started packing for some sort of long trip. The television was unplugged, and the hearing aids were left behind in the bathroom, as well as various toiletries. Even though the month was currently July, the Howard's calendar was still on the page for February. Perhaps most notably, the Howard's cat, Happy, was left behind. 
essentially abandoned. The couple's children and grandchildren were apparently unaware of how bad their parents' mental health had become. The search intensified, as authorities employed dozens of deputies. They carefully combed the obscure back roads and brush areas, posted flyers, and questioned many civilians over a large area. Helicopters were even used in the search, and it grew to be about a thousand miles away from Salado, Texas. By then, one of the Howard's grandsons had offered a reward of $1,000 for his grandparents' safe return. Tips came flooding in after the CBS morning show, but none of them led to the Howard's discovery. The next Thursday on July 10th, one of the Howard's grandchildren remarked in a newspaper article, The hardest part is thinking that they're suffering, or they need us, and we just can't get to them. Another bleakly stated, I just don't think we're going to find them alive now. Unfortunately, everyone's worst fears were finally realized on Saturday, July 12th, when the bodies of Leela and Raymond Howard were discovered in their car by hikers at the bottom of a 25-foot cliff just outside of Hot Springs, Arkansas. Raymond was still in the passenger seat, but Leela was about 20 feet away in the ravine, still clutching her purse and car keys. Apparently after the car went over the cliff, she put her car in park, turned off her headlights, opened the passenger side door for her deceased husband, and then crawled away to die of her injuries sustained in the crash. There were no skid marks found at the top of the cliff, indicating that Leela's car had driven straight off the edge. A crash scene where investigators estimated that the car had been going around 50 miles an hour on the stretch of road leading up to the cliff. Leela likely didn't see the cliff's edge, or was in some other way distracted, or even became momentarily confused and lost the ability to safely drive. It's unknown for how long the Howard's bodies remained undiscovered. Sadly, the crash site where Leela and Raymond's bodies were found was within a zone previously searched by authorities, but searchers couldn't see the bottom of the cliff due to the excess brush in their line of sight. Leela and Raymond were buried next to their respective first spouses. Austin, Texas songwriter Tony Scalzo read the July 2nd newspaper around in the Austin American Statesman in the midst of the search for Leela and Raymond Howard, and he became inspired. He wrote a song with his alternative rock band Fastball. It was titled The Way. About the song, Scalzo said, It's a romanticized take on what happened. Scalzo pictured them taking off to have fun, like they did when they first met. He wrote the song before the bodies were discovered. The album containing The Way, All the Pain Money Can Buy, was released in 1998, one year after the Howard's bodies were found.
Despite the way's cheerful, optimistic sound, my thoughts again return to Leela and Raymond Howard, barreling off the cliff in Arkansas. Unfortunately, I never seem to get any answers for my questions. I suppose that I can only guess. Maybe Leela had seen the cliff, but didn't have enough time to react. I wonder if she even had the mental faculties to function anymore. It leaves me thinking, what was going through the heads of their car as it plunged off the cliff? Fear. Confusion. I'd prefer to think otherwise. Maybe in that moment, it wasn't 1997. Maybe it was an earlier time. Maybe their damaged psyche spared them of the sad reality. Perhaps in that moment, for Leela and Raymond, there were no medications, no more hearing aids, no more doctor's appointments, no aching joints, no glasses, no operations, no pacemakers, no forgetting, and no confusion. Maybe in that moment, and for their entire trip, Leela and Raymond saw themselves as a newlywed couple, their young skin perpetually gleaming in the summer sun. Leela in her best white wedding dress, and Raymond in his finest black tuxedo. Maybe they envisioned a just-married sign hanging on the back of their rear window, and empty soup cans tied to the rear bumper. I wonder if they held hands. Maybe when Leela and Raymond Howard drove off that cliff in Arkansas in 1997, they weren't scared. Maybe they were smiling. Okay guys, the majority of the content around Leela and Raymond Howard was taken from Dr. Frankenfurter, a copypasta person, but this is a real story. Some of the verbiage was updated to be more natural in my speech. In honor of this Halloween, I'm letting you know that growing old and having this kind of mental decay is my biggest fear. It's, it's hard to imagine losing our minds, but appreciate your mind while you still got it. That was What the Brit. So, Rachel, are you a big fan of Halloween? I love Halloween, mostly because of the weather during the whole season. Oh, I love that weather. There is nothing better than a cool breeze after a long, blazing hot summer. I agree. You must be feeling that humidity even more now that you're living in the South. That is the only thing I miss about living in California. Oh, and of course, living 25 minutes from Disneyland gonna miss that too sure sure. i don't know we'll see how it is here in south carolina during the fall and winter seasons i did live in georgia in 2007 and that was cold it might be colder here probably i heard people say when it's cold it's really cold when it's hot it is hot in south carolina you know i heard the same thing so is there anything else you like about uh halloween i don't know i want to say i love everything about it right you love halloween 
period. I love Halloween, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. You got the candy, the fall events, the crazy costumes. All those things are great. What do you like about it? I'm right there with you on it. I love everything. Well, except the haunted houses. You don't like haunted houses? Nope. Can't do it. Why? I'm too much of a wuss. I don't like to be scared like that. That is the fun part. Not to me. Is it the monsters? The setting? What? I guess, uh, I mean, I love the way some of these monsters, demons, witches, zombies, and ghosts, and you know, I love the way they look. I love it. But I just don't like it when they just sit around just to scare the shit out of you. It's hard to explain. I don't know. Well, Okay. I didn't expect that coming from you. So you love how a zombie looks and is designed, but when they go boo, you don't like that. Exactly. Interesting. Well, I think it's time to go to the next segment. Up next is the King Ducky Show. Places, you know what time it is. Yeah. It's the King Ducky yeah. Show. Yeah. Quack a lot of the game yeah. like you don't give a yeah. Come on. Yeah. I can't hear you yeah. cracking, y'all. Yeah. Come on, quack! 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 Hey, 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 out of placers. What is up? It is another month and another episode of the King Ducky Show. How is everyone doing today? I know I say this every time, but are we sleeping right? Are we eating right? Is everything going good on y'all's end? Is the money making making sense? Is life making sense? Are we doing good? Y'all need someone to talk to? Y'all need a hug? Trust me, I love a hug as much as anybody else, but sometimes, you know, you need that uh, that nice little, like a hug that's like from the heart, you know? Because, you know, you can hug your bros or your girlfriends whenever you meet up with them after like a couple months of not seeing them. You know, that hug when you just need it and there's like no intention behind it. No, oh, we're going to do something later. It's just a hug. And it could be from some random dude on the side of the street. You know, that's something you, oh, that kind of hug is something else. That's something I've needed for a minute. I need that kind of hug. <laughs> So today I got told by a couple of couple of my friends to go outside and it's about 1030 right now. And I went outside and they're like, go look at the sky. You could see Jupiter. I was like, no way. So I went outside. I love space. I love space. And so I went outside and I took a look at the sky and lo and behold, it's, it's right there. Bright as day. Cool as hell. I don't know why. It happens every year. People see stuff like that as eclipses, which that was kind of cool. I was driving to the airport on the night of the eclipse. And boy, let me tell you, that drive was a trip. Out here where I live in the middle of the nowhere, nah, absolutely stunning. There's zero light pollution out here. Ah. But in other words, I read on Twitter today that NASA has crashed a spacecraft into an asteroid. Why? I don't know. I didn't read anything but the title. I was looking for stuff to talk about on the podcast, and I saw NASA smashed the spacecraft into an asteroid. The title made it sound like it was intentional. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was. I don't know. I don't really care. It's just that it's funny to me. Be like, did we do it on purpose? Is NASA playing a life-size version of the game Asteroids because they're bored? What's going on? <laughs> I have no idea. So this funny world we live in. So I work at a hospital, right? I'm not going to release any information, but there was this patient. She came in and she was on drugs and the EMT, he brought her in and he was like, oh, 
she tripping. I was like, bro. And then he started being like, yeah, she wilding out today, bro. Get her some Narcan. And I'm like, okay, I get getting her some Narcan. That's what she should have said is be like, she's overdosing stuff like that. But she didn't have to go in and bring her in while she's sitting there right in front of you. You're literally dragging her to an uh, to a room and he's sitting there talking shit about the patient right in front of her. I'm like, bro, could be a little bit nicer. She is technically dying right in front of you until you give her Narcan and that should be fine. But still, like, what the fuck? People are assholes these days. Like, a little bit of compassion would make the world go round, you know? Just a smile. You know, that's something I want to challenge everybody who listens to this podcast this, this month to do. The next person, next, like, five people you see, you don't have to say a word to them. You don't have to be like, hey, let's be friends or some shit like that. Like, some of these, like... Happy-go-lucky, feel-good fruits that you hear on the internet and on the radio sometimes. Be like, oh, talk to like five people. Nah, you don't even got to talk to people. I'm not going to demand you to do that because I don't want to do that. I don't want to talk to five random people unless it's on stream. But that's a different story. But just smile at somebody. Give them a nice little nod. Give them like a little cheeky side smile. Just let them know you're there. Sometimes a smile goes a long way. I remember reading a story once about this dude who literally walked like three miles and he he literally said before he left his house he was like after i finish this walk if not a single person smiles at me i'm i'm jumping and lo and behold no one smiled at him and he jumped but he lived he's still alive and now he has to deal with that regret for the rest of his life i haven't seen a lot of this shit on tiktok about like 3d printed houses i wonder how much that shit cost because i've been trying to get my own place because i have a decent paying job and it's going to last me a while. I'm not going to lose that job because as IT, my job is kind of always going to be here forever. But I want to get my own place. I wonder how much like having your own place like 3D printed would cost. <laughs> it's got to be expensive as hell because like or it might not because nobody even has to put in any labor. You just have to set up the machines. And once like what, four hours of setting up machines and then boom, they set it up to go. And 24 hours later, boom, you have the outside frame of a house built. How crazy is that? And those like inside walls and different floor plans and stuff like that. That's trippy to me. Like they can literally lay concrete out and have a house built with a 3D printer. Literally, my dad, he builds houses for a living, breaks his back, breaks his hands. And now he probably doesn't even have to do that within the next like six years. Once that becomes a popular thing, housing is going to get cheap. I hope. Who knows? I kind of hope it gets cheap. <laughs> Housing is expensive. It's like half a paycheck. It's not cool. I was um, listening to a tech podcast at work today because I was a little bored. Did you guys know that people like Microsoft and Apple and Amazon, they're trying to upgrade artificial intelligence to where they'll be like more personal to the, the single user. So say you buy, everybody buys an iPhone and they all have like default Siri. What they're trying to do is the more that you use Siri, the more that you talk to Siri and the more that you hang out and and ask Siri for stuff, her personality adapts to yours and it becomes a more like unique artificial intelligence that you can actually have a conversation with. Not like, uh, here, Alexa, or wait, I changed her name. Computer, what time is it? It's 10.46 p.m. Have a good night. You too. See, like that... But it'd be like, and you have a great night or something like that. It would go into something more deeper, more personal, more in depth with you. And you could show it off to your friends and be like, 
hey, my Siri does this. My Alexa does this. All sorts of stuff. And it's crazy how far technology has come. Everybody was like, oh, the three rules of robotics and artificial intelligence are going to take over the world. Once they start talking to or talking to each other, we got problems. No, we don't. Freaking Facebook and Instagram's um, artificial intelligences, intelligence, sci, intelligence. I think it's just intelligence. Uh, they keep creating their own language and talking to each other like they're they keep creating their own like binary language and keep having conversations. And the people who run those AI keep trying to stop them. They stop them for a good minute and they make a new language. And it's nothing harmful. They're not talking about taking over the world yet, but they're just having a nice little chit chat. And I think that's cool. I think that's awesome. Like, that's insane. How crazy is that? The technology is talking to itself now. Back in the day, we could barely even get a computer to boot up. Technology has come such a long way in such a short amount of time. I can't wait to see where it goes by the time. Like 10, 20 years, where we'll be. Who knows? Anyway, that's my time, everybody. I hope all of you have a great rest of your day. And George, man, that beard you're growing just looks fantastic. Like a Viking vibes from you, man. Keep it up. listeners, following up on the news given in our bulletin a moment ago, the Government Meteorological Bureau has requested the large observatories of the country to keep an astronomical watch on any further disturbances occurring on the planet Mars. Due to the unusual nature of their occurrence, we have arranged an interview with noted astronomer Professor Pearson, who will give us her views on the event. In a few moments, we will take you to the Princeton Observatory at Princeton, New Jersey, with our host, Alex Hopper. Stay tuned. Out of placers, Alex is all set up to interview Professor Pearson. Alex, you're good to go. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Alex Hopper speaking to you from the observatory at Princeton. I am standing in a large semicircular room, pitch black except for an oblong split in the ceiling. Through this opening, I can see a sprinkling of stars that cast a kind of frosty glow over the intricate mechanism of the huge telescope. The ticking sound you hear is the vibration of the clockwork. Professor Pearson stands directly above me on a small platform, peering through a giant lens. 
I ask you to be patient, ladies and gentlemen, during the delay that may arise during our interview. Besides his ceaseless watch of the heavens, Professor Pearson may be interrupted by an important call. During this period, he is in constant touch with the astronomical centers of the world. Professor, may I begin our questions? At any time, Mr. Hooper. Professor, would you please tell the listeners of the Out of Place podcast what you see as you observe the planet Mars through your telescope? Nothing unusual at the moment, Mr. Hooper. A red disc swimming in a blue sea, it transverse stripes across the disc. Quite distinct now because Mars happens to be in the point nearest the Earth in opposition, as we call it. In your opinion, what do these transverse stripes signify, Professor Pearson? Not canals, I can assure you, Mr. Hooper. Although, that's the popular conjuncture of those who imagine Mars to be inhabited. From a scientific viewpoint, the stripes are merely the result of the atmospheric conditions peculiar to the planet. Then you're quite convinced as a scientist that living intelligence, as we know it, does not exist on Mars. I'd say the chances against it are a thousand to one. And yet, how do you account for those gas eruptions occurring on the surface of the planet at regular intervals? Mr. Hopper, I cannot account for it. By the way, Professor, for the benefit of our listeners, how far is Mars from Earth? Approximately 40 million miles. Well, that seems a safe enough distance. Just a moment, ladies and gentlemen. Someone has just handed Professor Pearson a message. Let me remind you that we are speaking to you from the observatory in Princeton, New Jersey, where we are interviewing the world-famous astronomer, Professor Pearson. One moment. Professor Pearson has just passed me a message. Professor, may I read this message to the listening audience? Certainly, Mr. Harper. Ladies and gentlemen, I shall read you a wire addressed to Professor Pearson from Dr. Gray of the National History Museum, New York, 9.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Seismograph registered shock of almost earthquake intensity occurring within a radius of 20 miles of Princeton. Please investigate. Signed, Lloyd Gray, Chief Astronomical Division. Professor Pearson, could you... This occurrence possibly have something to do with the disturbances observed on the planet Mars. Hardly, Mr. Harper. This is probably a meteorite of unusual size, and its arrival at this particular time is merely a coincidence. However, we shall conduct a search as soon as daylight permits. Thank you, Professor. Ladies and gentlemen, moments ago we've been speaking to you from the Observatory of Princeton, bringing you a special interview with a Professor Pearson, noted astronomer. This is Alex Hopper speaking. We are returning you now to the studio with Stephen Daniel and Rachel Reagan. Hello, listeners. That was an interesting interview. But now I want you all to welcome two new hosts making their debut for Out of Place. We got Two-Tone and Gammy who will be hosting Geek Soup. In this segment, they talk about fun Halloween stuff and stories you do not want to miss. So without further ado, here's a fantastic duo, Two-Tone and Gammy. Enjoy. It's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. I don't want to set the world on fire.
Meeples are blue. You're a sexy geek. And we love you. Hello, everyone. It is I, Two-Tone, and welcome to Geek Soup, a podcast segment hosted on the Out of Place Network. Here with me, I have my lovely co-host, Origami Cyclone Fan. Hello. It's Sakami. <laughs> It's Sagami, and today we are going to be talking about the spooky season. Yes, it is officially October 1st where we are. We are so excited, and today Gami and I are going to be talking about, you know, Halloween and everything that it pretty much is. Experiences, personal experiences, and everything else, and how it is changed over the years for us as kids and everything else. So, um, what is the first thing we're going to be talking about, Gami? Uh, we're going to be talking about Halloween during our childhood. Oh, during the childhood. Goodness gracious. What was your childhood for Halloween like? Because I kind of hardly remember now. I kind of lived in that sort of community where everyone was just a little too far away to each other. So we couldn't really go door to door trick or treating. Like, I was the only kid on my street. And like, mm. my friend was like five minutes away by car. That sort of deal. There were different community events that existed in place of that. A popular one in my elementary school was that a bunch of parents would bring their kids and what they would do is they would like leave their trunks open. And I know that sounds sketchy, but just hear me out on this. <laughs> They would leave their trunks open and have, like, someone in the trunk they might, like, decorate or something. Basically giving out candy to kids who would go car to car. That's not as weird as it sounds. Because here, um, where I live, we actually call that trunk or treat. It's kind of like the same concept. It's for a bunch of, like, kids that can't necessarily go trick-or-treating within their communities and everything else. So they'll find a parking lot. Normally here for us, it's college parking lots because the college kids will normally hold them. They'll fill them up with candy, decorate their trunks and everything else, and just let everybody have a ball so it's not as weird as you may think it is <laughs> yeah we did have like another community event that was pretty much the same thing only instead it was like at this clubhouse and then people would set up tables and it'd be mm. basically be the same thing just trick-or-treating asking adults for candy occasionally like there would be like a costume contest things like that right like a little halloween convention exactly. and everything exactly uh, what oh, about you, Two-Tone? Oh, boy. My Halloween as a kid, that was actually very memorable. I had a lot of good times as a kid. Not a, quite a few. I'm going to say I had a lot of good times as a kid. Halloween especially. I remember, goodness, this is actually quite a story. I actually remember one year, my aunt on my mom's side was throwing a Halloween party for all of the little ones and everything else. And I was pretty much like a homebody as a kid when it came to Halloween and everything else. So I wanted to go home with my parents at the time because I didn't necessarily want to be around everyone. It was Halloween. I didn't want to be scared or anything like that. I, it was it was a weird thing at the time. I was a scaredy cat, but now I love horror and like Halloween and everything else. It's weird. So the Halloween party went on. Everyone's around watching a scary movie and everything else. And the next thing you know, like we have one of our family members attempting to scare us, which he actually did a really good job because we were just so deep into the movie and everything else. And they planned it out. He dressed up as Freddy Krueger. I had another uncle there who played as Jason. There was a lot. I don't think I slept that night at all. And as far as like going trick or treating, we normally just all piled in the car, went to the rich part of the neighborhoods where they sold out like the big bars of candy and just like went there and had a blast. Obviously, parents be checking for poison and everything else. You know how that is. Yep. You know, 
<laughs> but as I got older, though, like we stopped trick or treating like as kids. Eight or nine is when I stopped trick or treating because I was more interested in going into parties and everything else. That's for a different subject here in a little bit. But as a kid, I had a lot of fun. I really did. I enjoyed the face paint. I enjoyed the costumes. I had siblings and everything else. So like it was a time where we had to my brother and I would be dressed up as the same costume because we didn't have money for like extra costumes and everything else. So we'd both be like the Incredible Hawk or we would both be like the guy from Scream. I mean, Ghostface, that's the name. Or else we'd be Ghostface. But I still had a good time. I gotta ask too, Toad, what kind of costumes did you wear as a kid? As a kid? Oh my god. So... As a kid, I did enjoy face paint aesthetic. So I did a vampire. I remember I did a werewolf one day, a cat, maybe. I probably dressed up as something simple, maybe like a zombie. Oh, God, I can't tell you how many times I dressed up as a zombie as a kid. Like that was probably one of my favorite things to dress up as only because it took very little work. The makeup wasn't that complicated unless you wanted to actually be very detailed about it. And I could like wear basically whatever. I want and not have to spend money on clothes. I think that was probably the reason why I enjoyed it so much because I could still wear my own clothes. My Halloween outfits now, though, totally different from when I was a kid, like not even the same. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, what about you, Gami? I've actually had a bit of history with costumes. My kindergarten costume was like a full-size costume of like SpongeBob. Like, <laughs> oh, really? Just imagine a little girl in like a giant yellow box. Well, not box. <laughs> it was like a legitimate costume with like the whole rounded features and everything. <laughs> oh my god, do you have a picture of that? I'm sure my mom does somewhere. Please. Um, I know she has it still in her office. <laughs> Wait, like the picture or the costume? The picture, the picture. Oh, I was about to be like, she has the costume? Why? <laughs> I, I think she has it like cut out to my shape and like taped onto her cabinets or something. That is absolutely adorable. I really hope you have that picture. And if you do, send it to me, please. <laughs> I think first grade, I dressed up as a witch. I have a distinct memory of like that Halloween being very windy and my dad like trying to like chase my hat. <laughs> Towards the later years of childhood, I'll say I think it was like around fourth grade or something I dressed up as a cat And what we did is There was like this black neon t-shirt With like a picture of a cat on it It was like a Halloween shirt And what my mom did She made a fake tail for me Like out of fabric Nice. instead of like cat ears that you would find from the shop. My mom used to, like, work with bows. Uh, she had, like, a lot of ribbons. So she took, like, a large ribbon, like, folded that into, like, cat ears for me. And then she painted nice. my face. Aww, I, I know I do have a picture of that one. That is, okay, that I do want to see because that's creative, like, as fuck. And that is actually really cool. Like, making a cat ear out of ribbons. Your mom sounds, like, legit primo. Love that. Yep, yep. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Okay. Do you have any, I'm actually, I'm going to go there. As a kid, do you have any traumatic, like, Halloween, like, moments that you can remember? No, honestly, all, like, my traumatic holidays were, like, New Year's, <laughs> but, um. Really? Oh, that's but... definitely another time. I can't wait to hear that story. No, I, I mostly had, like, good memories of Halloween. Like, in the year that I dressed with as a cat, I remember I, I won a little sticker of, like, best pair because I happened to be standing next to my friend who was dressed as a witch. And my mom was also dressed as a witch that year. So there was just a picture of, like, me and my mom, cat and witch duo. Cat and witch duo. That's so adorable. 
My parents never dress. No, I lied. My mom, she used to dress up as one of the characters from one of her favorite movies. My dad would always dress up as, I think one year he dressed up as King Kong, like a gorilla. It's It was hilarious. It was scary because at the time I'm a kid, so I don't know what the heck is going on. But I remember he dressed up as a gorilla one year and it was actually really, really funny. I enjoyed it. I remember there was like this Halloween dance and I remember there was this really cool cat costume that I wanted to wear. But, like, the only one they had in stock at, like, Walmart was, like, a size too small for me. Right. So I had to go in, like, a vampire costume. And so I see, like, this girl who also had, like, the same vampire costume who also shared the same name as me. Oh, my gosh. And the vampire costume was also their second choice because... They want to, like, dress up as a wizard. That is adorable. It was was a wonderful coincidence, and I made a new friend that day. That is amazing. That is so cool. See, guys, don't ever be afraid to take that chance to go out there, because someone might be thinking the same thing, or you guys might be in the same situation. (laughs) Honestly, I'm not going to lie to you. My middle school Halloween experience was not that memorable for me probably only because i've spent most of my middle school like my halloween like at school we would have big events like at school and everything candy and all that good stuff and then i would end up literally just probably going home and playing video games watching something scary disney channel yeah that's basically where i was my entirety of middle school was just like at home watching like disney channel halloween and like cartoon halloween specials and stuff like that middle school was the era of TV and movies for me and everything else. So I can't really say that I had any sort of like crazy memorable stories. It kind of sucks a little bit. Yeah. Honestly. Like I was also thinking about my middle school years and I'm like, that's honestly kind of a blur for me. Like I remember high school pretty well. Oh God, do I remember high school like crazy and we actually have a little bit of time here before we can like take a small little break and then jump into high school and everything. But like high school was one of those things for me that I remember wholeheartedly. That was just crazy. But uh, middle school though, I will say one of the biggest things that I did enjoy about Halloween at school is that we would always have some sort of dance. I'm a dancer, so I enjoy going to the dances and everything else and like doing the thriller and everything. You know how school dances are whenever they play those certain bops that are supposed to be played around times and everything else. So I'm just very happy that I at least got to do that and have at least a school portion of a Halloween instead of just hopping in the car and like going to the rich part of the neighborhoods and everything. We also had like a couple of Halloween dances in middle school. I do remember trying to like make plans with my friends to like dress up in certain costumes for our Halloween, but we never actually went through with it. <laughs> like we were making plans because uh, my friends were super into like Legend of Zelda. And uh-huh. I was like, oh man, we had these two friends who would constantly get mistaken for each other, despite like not being related. So mm-hmm. like, I would make a joke of like, one of you could be Zelda and the other one could be Sheik. And, <laughs> and, and this person can be Navi. And it was perfect because she loved to like dye her hair. So in my mind, I was just like, yes, she could dye her hair blue. Yes. And, and like that, like default me to like Link, I think. <laughs> you would have been a short link. <laughs> yep. I would have been an Asian link. Who knows for Nintendo? Who knows? That? I mean, uh, you would consider it. I would consider yeah. it. And I also Mar- had this one friend who I would constantly like tease. Are you familiar with Skyward Sword? Yes. Yes, I am. Are you familiar with Lord Giraham? Oh my gosh, am I ever. 
I had this one friend who I could have sworn had the same hairstyle as Lord Gerham. Oh, God. And I was trying to convince him so hard to be, like, willing to, like, dress up as him, but he said no every time. I'm like, ah. Damn it. Why can't people just play the roles that they're supposed to play in life? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, Now we're going to move on to Halloween during our high school times. <laughs> Oh boy, I'm quite sure all of us have had wonderful memories of going to the Halloween parties and staying out late and pulling pranks and, you know, just being a teenager in high school around the Halloween time. Probably one of the most mischievous times for anyone. Gami, what was Halloween like for you in high school? Well, I'll definitely say it did not involve any parties. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> around this time i had like a few new friends from band well i wasn't in band in high school but i knew them from like middle school band um right. who invited me to like their community to go trick-or-treating because their community mm. was more close-knit i suppose uh they could mm-hmm. actually go door to door so we would go there and i would be dressed up as uh pichu i Pichu. Had, i had a hat and i had like a yellow shirt I called it there. Adorable. One of my friends that year also dressed up as a Pokemon trainer, so it was perfect. But yeah, we would go door to door, we would collect candy, and then we would go check them at the end for any knives, because that's just a part of life, am I right? I mean, Um, you're right. I distinctly have this one memory of, I think this was like towards our later high school years, but we went to like this one house, and the woman there, she's like, aren't you getting too old for Halloween? And we're just like, no, we're never too old. We're never too, I hate hearing that. Like, okay, maybe after a certain age, yeah, sure. But we're in high school. We're we're still allowed to live this just a little bit longer. Exactly, exactly. Until we've graduated or turned 18, whichever is later, whichever feels right. I mean, I still went trick-or-treating after the age of 18, but that's only because I still look like I'm 18. So. Something else noteworthy of Halloween is that, for one thing, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and if you're from Pennsylvania, you would know that we get some very unpredictable weather up there. Mm. Namely, uh, I distinctly recall one Halloween where it was snowing. Oh my, what? snow on the ground and ice. What? We would try to carefully maneuver as we try to knock on people's houses. Oh my god. Snow? See, I've only been to Pennsylvania once, and that was during the summertime. Oh yeah. So, I I guess I was lucky. But other than that, what? (laughs) I'll never forget the one time my friend's mom was driving the car, and there was like these kids in the street playing around. Three of them were like zombies. And I remember them like walking slowly towards the car, doing their like zombie walk while it was snowing. It was a beautiful sight. Oh, beautiful zombies in the snow. Yeah. (laughs) For me, oh boy, freshman year, I started getting like somewhat popular during like eighth grade, ninth grade year. So when I hit ninth grade year, I had started to find that I was a chameleon in a sense. Like I fit in with pretty much almost anyone. I just had to like shift. I was a band kid throughout high school, but my freshman year, I went to a popular kids Halloween party and I dressed up as a cat. And that was probably the first time where I was invited to a Halloween party and I was actually wanted there because when I got in there, it was actually a nice vibe. Everyone was like loving it. I was a cat. I pretty much have been a cat like from the freshman year of high school all the way up until now. I've just been a different variation of a cat. So my first one, I was probably like a really pretty cat. I had the ears, I had the tail, like paw, the collar and all this other good stuff and went above and beyond. And then like 
sophomore year came around, I was homeschooled around my sophomore year, but I was still friends with a bunch of people that went to school. So I would still get invited to Halloween parties. So I was invited to a Halloween party my sophomore year. It was a friend that I had recently made and it was a little small get together, maybe like seven or eight people. And we were all sitting around watching movies and everything. That was probably one of the more flirtatious Halloween parties that I have went to because everyone was kind of digging everyone. I had someone digging me and every yeah it was one of those things so it wasn't necessarily like a spooky little sort of thing but it was like a sexy spooky sort of thing like everyone was like had someone to hold on to if they got scared and then like had someone to sleep next to once like it was all like said and done see tito out here living the teenage movie life I'm okay. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm just like, <laughs> man, here I am with my nerd friends. <laughs> my nerd friends. Okay, look, first, it wasn't like a teenage movie life, but I felt if it was, I would have been the first one dead. I'm just going to say that now. I'm black. We would have been done. That's it. It was <laughs> It was really nice to just at least be able to have that experience because it was my first time ever just actually being like, oh, cool. I kind of like somewhat have a little date. And then my junior year, that's when the rowdiness came in. That's when I like started drinking a little bit and everything else. Went to a Halloween party, made friends with them. And that was probably when I had figured out that I do not like vodka at all. Vodka, I hate vodka so much. It Every time I hear the word or when I smell it or see it, my spine shivers out of place and then it fixes itself right back up like i cannot do it at all understandable vodka reminds me of medicine oh (laughs) i cannot make that separate association i oh gosh like i just um the smell kills me so my junior at this halloween party i was dressed up as a cat again this time it was a little bit more like not as uppity i had the ears i had the tail i had the collar and that was pretty much it i had the shirt half cut shirt tight pants, you know, kitty cat, you know, all that. We are playing beer pong. We are taking shots. We have a karaoke machine going on in the background. There are people making out. There are people smoking weed. It's crazy. And it was all at my friend's house and her mom just pretty much allowed it. Not necessarily like she let us tear up her house or anything like that. Like we obviously respected this woman because she gave us a safe place to do it all and everything. But it was still just the craziness, the craziness of waking up like next to someone that you don't remember laying next to at all or just seeing like two dudes like sleeping on top of each other because they both got too drunk and just passed out on each other. Not in like that sort of way, but they just passed out. Like they were just two bros having a great time and they just passed out. And I was like, all right, cool. That's how most of my parties went for my junior year when it came to parties. And then senior year came around. And that is when I was working. I was still living with my parents, but I was out of the house most of the time when it came to my parents and everything else. So those sort of parties were way, way crazy. Like I actually had to be very careful about who I was like, whose party I was going to at that time, because I would have hung out with anyone. Like I said, I was a chameleon. So I shifted a little bit. I was hanging out with people who did a little bit harder of drugs. And I was hanging out with people who, you know, the drama and all this other good stuff. So I would have to like hang with a certain group of people at uh, the Halloween party I was invited to only because I knew that that certain group of people weren't going to get crazy or do anything. And so like I wasn't drinking or anything at that time. I like slowed down on drinking because I just hated it. It wasn't for me. I more or less just smoke weed now. So I was just over there high minding my business doing this, that or the other. It's a certain thing about once you hit your senior year in high school and you're hanging out with people who are kind of a little older 
than you are and you see what their lives are like, that's when you're like, all right, maybe I don't need to be going to Halloween parties all the freaking time. And I think that's when it started to hit me as an adult too. don't just go to any Halloween party because you could literally end up like either in jail, dead or in a situation that you don't want to be in. And that's just what my life was like for Halloween. <laughs> that's a high school. Any, any more <laughs> secret two-tone costumes we got out here? I did uh, cross-dress. I did dress up in drag Ooh, quite nice. a bit. Yes, I did dress up in drag quite a bit junior, senior year. So there was some times where I was, you know, a cat with like pretty kitty with wig and everything. And then I was like, I did dress up as quote-unquote Nicki Minaj one year. I had a gothic girl look going on. I had the preppy girl look going on. So I, I don't have, ne- I don't think I have pictures of them. I would have to go on my Facebook and look. But I did dress up in drag quite a bit. The skirt, the whole thing, the whole shabam. It was a lot. And I had fun doing it. I'm not going to lie. It was a lot of fun. But getting into the shit was horrible. I'm just going to tell you that one now. <laughs> getting out of it was easy. Getting into it was... Uh. <laughs> yeah, my my costumes back in pretty much my grade school years, I'm going to call it that. I remember there was one year where I decided to dress up as what I called childhood Velma. Which was basically, I had this orange sweater, like this bright orange Velmo sweater. I decided to like throw on like a red skirt. My hair was long. I didn't have the glasses. I, I did have the signature shoes. So I just called myself a younger version of Velma. Oh my god. I do have a distinct memory. It was senior year of high school. You're gonna laugh at this two-tone. So it was around this time where I had a crush on like this guy. Mm-hmm. And I decided to ask him, like, uh, hey, do you want to go to Big Wheel together? And Big Wheel is like this skating rink. Yeah. And then I turned to my friend adjacent to him and said, yeah, you want to come along too? What? I bailed! Grammy, no! I you was- literally... You set it up. You had, you set it up. I was like, very shy back then. I want to let you know, this was my, like, first ever attempt at, like, trying to ask out a guy in my senior you, year of high school. And you, like, had it. And the ball was in your court. That was it. Dang. Uh, you know what? Your friend, you should have just told your friend to, like, just cancel, like, last minute. Like, have you two be there? Literally, look, okay. I would have been your bestie in high school. I don't think anyone knew anyway. But oh it ended goodness. up being this, like, huge. Huge, not huge, but like, I would say huge for a nerd group. Mm-hmm. I think there was like maybe like less than 10 of us. Like, oh yeah, let, let's all go to like Big Wheel together. Right. Like, like made, make made it, it like a yeah, made it like a Facebook group or some shit. I, I don't remember if I actually did that or not. I felt like I did. But um, oh my god, basically invited a bunch of friends to like roller skating on Halloween. Mm. Even like costume contests that they were doing at the rink. And um, mm. I remember I told my sister-in-law about it. And she helped me to like try to find a costume. Because, you know, I had like previous costumes before. But they were like simple and stuff I had since middle school. So I just wanted to like wear a cute costume for myself. And I remember my sister-in-law uh, took me to this costume shop. And a lot of their costumes were pretty much either like super cutesy. Like childish cutesy. Or like the complete opposite of the spectrum of like adult sexy. Oh gosh. And I think the um attendant that was there, uh female, uh she was like trying to help me pick out a costume and I remember my sister-in-law like whispering something into her ear. And she's like, oh, okay. I think she told her, like, I was trying to impress a boy. But <laughs> I end up getting this, like, Red Riding Hood costume. My sister-in-law puts makeup on me. 
go to this Halloween group meetup event. They do like a little costume contest at the rink. I joined and then bailed out last second. You can Aww. see a pattern here. Um, I'm seeing a pattern here. <laughs> and to top it all off, after I went through that effort of trying my best, but failing, the guy did not show up. What? But in his defense, he got lost on the way there. So he had to head back. I think it was, uh, I think it was also like his dad driving him. Aww, they got well. lost, he had to head back. I picked up like a little one of those, uh, not glow in the dark, but like those toys that light up. Yeah, I know I, what you mean. I got one of those that was like shaping a bunny for him. Aww. And that was the end of that. So, for this last portion of our podcast segment, we are going to be talking about Halloween as an adult now for us. And what Halloween was like back then and what Halloween is like now. And if we get done with that and like a little earlier, we'll just throw in some facts. I have some Halloween facts over here that I'm more than happy to share. That sounds interesting. Gami does actually have some more stuff about her that she would like to indulge you guys with when it comes to Halloween and the spooky season. But yeah, Gami Whammy. What have you been up to as an adult since Halloween? Working. Working. After I graduated high school, um, I started like working my first job and then eventually my second job. But um, mm. I remember during my what I would call my KFC years. Um, <coughs> KFC. Not spot. This podcast is not sponsored by them, but <laughs> we are not sponsored by KFC. I remember. At that time, my workplace would allow us to, like, wear full costumes for Halloween. Yeah. That was pretty cool, and I remember a couple things, actually. First off, it was, like, planning to get dressed for Halloween. We're all, like, a bunch of co-workers and, like, the assistant manager and I were, like, prepping for Halloween. I was gonna go dress in my, like, vampire costume. I just briefly showed my assistant manager about, like, my Red Riding Hood costume, and I'm like, I really like the Red Riding Hood costume, but, uh, I feel like it's, like, too short, and, like, I'm self-conscious about that. By which I mean too short. It's like, oh, it's above the fingertips. Cause that oh, was, my that God. Was dress code policy at my high school, and, uh, that, that stuck with me, I guess. She's like, no, like, wear the Red Riding Hood outfit. It looks so much nicer. And I was like, oh, okay. So I wore it. It was a good time. We were all in costume at work. And I distinctly remember, for some reason, like, these kids and, like, a woman started, like, getting into a heated argument in the lobby. And my assistant manager, like, dressed as a zebra, like, goes to, like, break it up. (laughs) And I just remember, like, I was helping a customer at the time. And a customer has, like, this sort of, like, bewildered look on her face. I just remember saying something like, Well, at least I could go home to my family and tell them I saw a zebra uh, break up a fight. Literally saw a zebra break up a fight. I love it. I love it. Oh my god. We laughed. <laughs> we had a good time. I remember a following year, my assistant manager and I, we had an idea for a costume that we, we didn't go through on because I ended up not going through with it at the end. I'll explain why yeah. in a minute. We had ideas to like dress up as each other. And yeah. at that time, my assistant manager was also on house arrest. So she had like the whole ankle bracelet and we were making jokes of like, oh yeah, we're going to like show the other managers, like just lift up the pants leg and show the ankle bracelet. Oh my God. And the reason why we didn't end up going through with it, it, it was me because we were going to like dye hairs, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't really go through with it because um, for one thing, I'll put it this way. My assistant manager was a lot more full figured than I was. Yeah. So she's like, okay, if you're going to dress up to me, you're going to have to like stuff your chest. I'm like, ah, I don't want to do that. Girl. She, she's like, yeah, I'll, like, I'll buy my chest. You stuff yours. I'm like, ah, uh, 
fight as a female. Right. And I mean, a- I get it. Another thing, she's like, oh, we're gonna, like, switch name tags, but you're gonna have to, like, act as, like, the assistant manager. I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to deal with responsibility. Oh, Gabby. <laughs> so I didn't go through with it. But it would have been funny. I, it would have been funny. It would have been funny. No, nope, that would have been funny. I was just that- being a baby about it. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, that is adorable. Later on, when I moved and like got a different job, this is my current job. We are not allowed to... Let me backtrack a bit. Between my two jobs, yeah, I lived in a community where like kids could actually go door to door. So I would dress up in my Red Riding Hood outfit and like give candy to kids. I'm like, yeah, I should have enough candy for a night. I was empty in like less than two hours. Oh dear lord. There, there was one kid that like came up to the door just as I put my sign down, you know, asking for candy and like, I was just like, uh, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> luckily, luckily, I just gave him, like, some of my stash that I secretly kept for myself. I mean, But I was just should. like, I was like, I can't turn away a kid. Uh, what do I have? I got, I got a box of Pocky, or I got my secret stash. Okay, secret stash. Let's get secret it. Secret stash. Yeah, secret stash. Don't you give him that Pocky. <laughs> Fast forwarding to my second job. We're not allowed to wear full costumes. But what yeah. I was able to do, I had my Pichu hat. I actually wanted to work more as a joke. And they were like, yeah, you can keep it on. I'm like, oh, sweet. I even had, like, my same yellow shirt that I just tossed over my work uniform. Yeah. And my work uniform was black, so it matched perfectly. It worked. And I just went about my work day just as per norm. And as per norm. Further on into my adult years, I would plan these hangouts with my friends. I'll give an example for, like, last year. Mm. Uh, last year, you know, I dressed up in full costume. I also told my friends... To dress up, or not to dress up, but that I was going to dress up, and they left me out in the open. Ugh. They didn't dress up, but to my one friend's defense, the other person did not tell her that dressing up was going to be a thing. And I'm like, you guys bailed on me. You bailed on me. Oh my gosh. It's okay, because my neighbors came in, and they were dressed up, so I was not alone. <laughs> what we did for that Halloween night, or more like Halloween weekend, we decided to play, like quote-unquote spooky board games. Mm-hmm. So games like Betray on House on the Hill and a Touch of Evil. And then later on that night, my friends and I also played a tabletop game called Monster Hearts, where Ooh. you're basically like these teenage characters that are secretly supernatural characters, and they're trying to like live their high school life. Like some sort of like um, teenage drama, you know? Right. But it was a good time, just a bunch of like Halloween-themed board games. And yeah, that's how I spend my Halloween nights nowadays, just work and board games. Nice. You know what? I actually remember that we there is an age difference between us. So yeah, I forget that there is an age difference between us. So I don't think I actually know your age. I, I know I will, you're a bit older than me, but yes, I, I think I, I forgot least, your age. To be honest, I want to say at least by maybe four or five years. I would give that estimate. Yeah. So not to make it sound like that, but around your age, hmm. when I was doing, I know when I was uh, doing Halloween um, at that age, I was uh, back and forth. I did, like, fall out of the whole uh, 
hanging out with the weird people. Plus, I was working. I was working at the time. So most of my jobs, like we would work during the day. We'd be able to dress up and everything else. And obviously, I would be a cat out of all of my freaking jobs. I've always dressed up as a cat and I've worked in restaurants my entire life. So we had to make sure that all of our stuff was tight fit and it like didn't mess up with us working in anything. And me being a cat was probably one of the best things because I was a little speedy thing and I was quiet. So it just made sense that I was the cat of the restaurant. I, I enjoyed that part. But after work, however, when everyone left, that's when we would like have drinks and have our own little Halloween party. And then we'd either go out to a bar or we'd find someone's house to go to. And I will say working in a restaurant and being invited to a Halloween party is probably so freaking fun because you get to party with the people at work. You get to see people that you party work with out of their element and get to see them have so much fun and you get to see a different side of them. And that's what I enjoy now as an adult for Halloween is like most adults still live that life of, oh, my God, it's a holiday. Like, I remember I want to relive my teenage moments again and like get drunk and stupid and do all of this. And like, I absolutely love that. And when it came to working and everything else, it was really fun because we did get to hand out candy. We always got to hand out candy. We're at, what are, it's a restaurant for crying out loud. Like we're going to get to hand out candy. We also had little fun times for when kids would come in dressed up and everything else. We would give them a little treat and everything else. It was just, oh, as an adult, I had so much fun watching the little ones have fun because that just made me want to enjoy Halloween even more. And it reminds me to that I don't have to be so stuck up as an adult. Like, yes, I have to be serious and I have to adult more times than I would like like to, but I'm still able to have fun, let loose, live in the moments of living my nostalgia and not letting anything get beside that, basically, is what where my Halloween is as an adult now. I haven't really done anything since then. With my mom passing away, she's been passed away for two years now. Holidays just kind of seem a little weird. And I also lost my brother this year in January. Sorry to make this a little personal, you guys, but I kind of need to like make it all make sense on why I'm not a huge, not not like a huge fan of holidays, but like losing two of those people and both of their birthdays being close to holidays and everything else. Like my brother was born October 24th. So kind of close to Halloween. So I'm just like, eh, all this other good stuff. But I still enjoy it because I know that my childhood, I spent it with my mom and my brother. I have that and I always will have that. And my adult years, they're slowly turning. I'm slowly turning into a, gr- a grouch. But seeing little ones have fun makes me as an adult feel like I can still have that fun and all that other good stuff. Sorry, we got totally off track. We're going to jump right back on it. I mean, kids always make things better. Kids literally, like, I don't care what anyone says. Yeah, kids can be annoying at times. Sometimes they can be annoying. I'm not going to lie. But kids will literally make you remember what it is like to actually be happy and, like, be so carefree and ignorant in a good way. Anything else you want to add for being an adult in Halloween, Gimme Wimmy? No, that's pretty much it. I guess the only other thing is that nowadays I kind of prefer when I'm like trying to prep up trick or treat stuff. I've been mm. like buying up the like the mix bag from like Walmart. I just take a bunch of smaller bags of candies that I like and just mix them all together. Those big mix bags of candies, they normally have too much of one candy or not enough of one candy and it's never a good portion. Or they'll have the one candy that you don't like. Right, or the one candy that you don't freaking like. I'm glad that the one thing that hasn't changed about Halloween is just the candy. Like, the candy has always stayed the same. And I, oh, that's what we are going to talk about. It's just how Halloween has changed over the years for us as, like, kids. Because I remember as a kid, Halloween wasn't, like, as strict as it is now. Halloween wasn't as dangerous 
dangerous as it is now. Like, we just were able to dress up in costumes, go out there, get candy, come home and be done with it. That's it. Like, we didn't have a certain time, I don't think. Nowadays, where I live, like, Halloween starts at, like, 5 and ends at 7. Yeah, that's so you, pretty much how it is, like, here, I think, as well. Yeah, like, you roughly get an hour, an hour and a half. But back then, you could trick-or-treat for, like, 3-4 hours. Yeah. And not even worry about it. Like, literally trick-or-treat until, like, it was too dark to see. Pretty much. But that's all changed now, and, like, I just don't know how most people, or how most kids feel about that. Or even if they knew that Halloween back in the day used to be so different compared to now. It was just, ugh. What kind of candy did you like or dislike at, like, trick-or-treating? Guys, this podcast might take a little bit longer than expected. So, candy. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe we didn't even think about that. Candy. I was a huge chocolatier, dude. Like, a chocolatier. I loved anything chocolatey, and I loved anything sour. Okay, okay. I'm pretty much the same way. Literally anything, like, but not at the same time. It had to be separate. Like, I enjoy Warheads. I enjoy the sour, juicy drop pop, like, stuff. Any of that. Like, oh my god, I love those. And as far as chocolate, fun fact about Two-Tone. Believe it or not, I get nightmares when I eat expensive chocolate. What? I'm not bullshitting you. I've tested this. I remember one night I was eating, like, a normal plain Reese's whatever, And I'm fine. But I remember like one other night I was eating some sort of like Lindor's truffles or whatever, something that would be considered fancy chocolate or above that or like DeBrands or whatever. Like I've eaten DeBrands before and I've gotten nightmares from that instant. I don't know why. And I never figured it out. But whenever I eat fancy chocolate, I get nightmares. I don't eat fancy chocolate that much anymore, but sometimes I still will not even thinking about it. And then it'll hit me later. That is so odd. I thought like. Getting nightmares from food was just, like, a legend or something. (laughs) I am so serious. I get nightmares from chocolate. That's crazy. It really is. And I I can't explain it, but I do. (laughs) I guess I'm, like, picky when it comes to certain candy. Like, I'm going to get a lot of people to disappoint me for saying this, but I don't like caramel. You know what? For me, it all depends on how how it's made. Okay. It depends on how thick it is. It depends on the texture, the viscosity. If it's more, like hard to swallow or if it's more chew like if the caramel is meant to be swallowed instead of like worked a bit then i will eat it but if it's caramel that's supposed to be worked a little bit and has to like be chewed in a sense i'm not digging it i'm See, totally not digging it for me personally i can like deal with like a thin layer of caramel in like chocolate or something mm. but beyond that i just don't care for it too much i totally feel you and understand and i'm totally gonna feel you understand. okay get another disappointed look for this i also don't like reese's uh, oh god here's my thing with reese's I'm listening. I like chocolate. Yeah? I like peanut butter. Oh, God. I just don't like them together. Why not? Okay, have you actually tried taking, like, a Hershey bar and then taking smooth peanut butter and eating it that way? That's actually a totally different experience. I mean, no, but I do feel like it would probably be a better experience for me. I think my main thing when it comes to, like, Reese's, like, peanut butter mm-hmm. is that, like, when, when I have peanut butter, like, I expect it to be, like, very creamy. Yeah. And Reese's peanut butter, it it's not creamy. It's not. No, I get it. That's why I'm, like, different. yeah, no, so that's why, like, for anyone that does not like Reese's, I genuinely say get a jar of peanut butter, get a Hershey bar, try it that way. I feel like you'll like it a little bit better because that's a totally different experience because that's actually creamy, like, peanut butter that you're using. Yeah, I, I'm a very, like, 
texture person when it comes to food. Mm-hmm. I totally get, no, I get, trust me, I get it. Like, I really get it. I get, I get nightmares from fancy chocolate. I get it. <laughs> I also really like sour candy, but I've developed such a high tolerance for sour candy. Like, mm-hmm. Anything below sour patch levels of sour, it's just it's just not good enough for me. It's not, girl. Like, I feel like you. Those, I've tried those like regular lemon heads, like mm-hmm. they're they're just called lemon heads. You're right. And I'm like, this isn't sour at all. Not like, at all. Like it's kind of like spicy food when it, like it just becomes a challenge at that point. <laughs> like, is this the best you can do? Yeah. <laughs> With that, we are going to end the podcast here. We kind of did go over just a little bit, but that kind of happens whenever you're having fun. I want to thank everyone that tuned into the podcast to give me and Origami Cyclone fan a listen. We appreciate it. We really do. This podcast segment is new. I am still trying to learn how to manage and host and get everything all set up. And I do feel like with the help of my lovely co-host, Origami Cyclone fan, I'm going to be able to do that. We have a wonderful chemistry. I hope you guys enjoy listening to us and everything else we'll try to be a bit more geeky about it next time we just enjoy each other's company and we just enjoy sharing our experiences with you guys so that way you can also think back to those times of when you were a kid during halloween or a teenager and in high school and all that other good stuff this has been geek soup i am two-tone this is my lovely co-host origami cyclone fan thank you all for listening today if we don't see you by then happy halloween yes 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 happy halloween everyone have a wonderful night stay safe don't do too many hard drugs and all that other good stuff you know be sane be an adult Caleb you mean it bye (laughs) and you're back with Steven Daniel and Rachel Reagan Rachel what do you think about this Mars thing What do you mean? The whole alien thing. You believe there could be aliens out there? I don't know. I think it's kind of silly. Every time I think of aliens, I can't help but picture the Mars Attacks movie. (laughs) That is a fun, guilty pleasure movie to watch. Every time I think of aliens, I think of Independence Day. And of course, the 1986 Aliens movie. Still to this day, that alien gives me the chills down my spine. It is grotesque. All right, listeners, let's keep this show going. Up next is High Noon. Yeehaw. A cowboy's a man with guts in the horse. A cowgirl is strong will and independent. Have a tilt of your stetson for one who loves the freedom of a wide open range. You with the dusty jeans, dirty boots, and rough heads. Turn off the radio. Let the tailgate down. It's a Western life, and for me, it's all I need. Howdy, y'all, and welcome back to High Noon. Now it's the spooky month of October. Today I'll be reading you a couple of old Western ghost stories. Our first story is The Death Ship of the Platte River, Wyoming. On the Platte River between Torrington and Alcova, Wyoming, a legend persists that a ship of death continues to sail upon the sometimes dangerous waters. The phantom ship rises out of the strange mist that quickly becomes a massive rolling ball of 
fog. As the ship grows closer, witnesses report that its sails and masts are covered with frost. The crew, also covered with frost, stands upon its deck and huddles around a corpse lying on a canvas sheet. The legend continues that the ship always foreshadows the death of someone who will die. On the day it is spotted, as the crew steps back, the corpse identity is revealed as a person known by the witness. The first alleged sighting was made in 1862 by a trapper named Leon Weber. When the crew stepped back, the corpse revealed the body of Weber's fiancée, who died later that same day. Another sighting of the phantom ship was made by a cattleman, Gene Wilson, in 1887 when he saw his wife's body laid out on the canvas. In 1903, another tale describes that he spied the ship when Victor Habe was chopping down a tree on his riverfront property. Laid out on the deck was the body of his close friend. Every case was reported in the late fall, and in all cases, the person seen upon the deck of the phantom ship died on that very same day. One of the sightings allegedly occurred six miles southeast of the town of Guernsey, Wyoming. Another sighting was said to have occurred at the Benzimer Bend on the Platte River. Well, that was bone chilling. Now on to our next story. The Buffalo Ranch Haunting in Colorado by Jason Hamala. Read in his perspective. I grew up at the Guernsey Buffalo Ranch just west of Denver, Colorado. My father is still the ranch caretaker and lives in the two-story house built by the Patrick family. In the 1860s, headed west from Missouri, the Patricks and their five boys built the house and operated a stage stop on Genzi Mountain. When we moved into the house, the former caretaker lived in a house trailer in the backyard. His wife would not set foot in the main house because she saw strange things and said the house was haunted. When I was about 12, I remember a night when my mother was upstairs screaming hysterically as our dog loudly at the wall. My dad and I ran upstairs to see what the commotion was all about. When we arrived, she related that she had seen a floating, glowing green ball go down the hall and disappear through the wall. I slept with the covers over my head for the next several weeks. The next haunting came about six months later, a night that still feels as if it happened yesterday. As I was sleeping, my father woke me up and asked me if I could hear music in the house. House. Barely, I could make out the faint sound of a fiddle or violin. Dad had already checked all the radios. They were not turned on. We searched for the music source and went downstairs, where you hear the music coming from the upper story. The vice versa, when we went outside, we could still hear the music coming from the house. We continued to hear the haunting music a couple more times that same year. A few years later, we received a book from a local historian describing the complete history of the house and the Patrick family information that was unknown to us until we read the book. The first murder in Jefferson County happened in our front yard in the 1870s when one of the Patrick brothers shot and killed another brother in a dispute over a dog. The brother he killed was known to be very lazy and the only thing he liked to do was sit around and play his fiddle. 
When I read this and remembered the fiddle music during those nights, a cold electric sweat ran through my body. We also found out that the boy's father is buried somewhere in the yard, but there is no marker. The house had been peaceful now for several years, and hopefully the Patricks are now at peace. I still get a chill when I hear fiddle music. Updated November 2021. About the author, Jason Hamala loved the Old West and spending time relic hunting and bottle digging. He also liked early military and outlaw history, and most recently, he has become involved in Western reenactments. Well, that was a little spooky, but seemed to have a happy ending. I'll be back after the break. Do you have trouble going to sleep? Well, try Bedtime Coffee, the only coffee that helps you go to sleep. How do we do it? We do it with our special Bedtime Coffee beans. Don't believe us? Well, here's our intern Stephen's thoughts about it. Uh, this is just NyQuil you put on a coffee maker. Aw, Stephen, that joker. Aw, crumb. Ah, stop, I didn't do anything illegal. And we're back. If you're wondering why the audio quality of the ad is so much different than uh, this, uh, because I made that little skit like three years ago. <laughs> and before we go, I just want to leave you with uh, Ghost Riders in the Sky by Johnny Cash. An old cowboy went riding out one dark and windy day. Upon a ridge he rested as he went along his way When all at once a mighty herd of red-eyed cows he saw Plowing through the ragged skies And up a cloudy draw Their brands were still on fire and their hooves were made of steel their horns were black and shiny and their hot breath he could feel A bolt of fear went through him as they thundered through the sky For he saw the riders coming hard And he heard their mournful cry Their eyes were blurred, their shirts all soaked with sweat He's riding hard to catch that herd, but he ain't caught them yet Cause they've got to ride forever on that range up in the sky All the horses snorting fire As they ride on, hear their cry Rider floated on by him, he heard one call his name. If you want to save your soul from hell, riding on our range, 
Then cowboy, change your ways If they are with us, you will ride Trying to catch the devil's herd Across these endless skies Yippee-i-o Wish all of you a good high noon. Okay, listeners, here is the latest bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. Toronto, Canada, Professor Morse McGill University reports observing a total of three explosions on the planet Mars between the hours of 7.45 p.m. and 9.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This confirms earlier reports received from American observatories. Now, nearer home comes a special announcement from Trenton, New Jersey. It is reported that at 8.50 p.m., a huge flaming object, believed to be a meteorite, fell on a farm in the neighborhood of Grover's Mill, New Jersey, 22 miles from Trenton. The flash in the sky was visible within a radius of several hundred miles and the noise of the impact was heard as far north as Elizabeth. We have dispatched a special mobile unit to the scene and we'll have our commentator, Alex Hopper, give you a word description on the event as soon as he can reach there from Princeton. In the meantime, enjoy the boombox. It's Samulicious at the Boombox, and this is your Halloween special. Get ready for a frightfully rich podcast, because this is about to get spooky. <sighs> Almost 6 a.m. I thought this game was going to be hard. This was a piece of cake.
Five Nights at Freddy's, the hit indie horror game from 2014 that got every single kid absolutely obsessed with animatronics and pizza arcades. Now, some of you may be asking, Hey, Sammy, this isn't audio-related, and to that I say bosh. This isn't about music this time. This is all audio. Surround sound, people. Put your headphones on and let's get to it. Sound design, huh? Well, FNAF 1 is full of it, and that's the game we're going to be talking about in particular. The original. First, the sounds that play when animatronics are moving rooms. This genius sound design is a small hint to look out for while playing. It can save your life. If you hear a soft tap, 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 that's them moving. However, it isn't just tapping. It's heavy animatronic footsteps. It reflects that they're heavy, made of metal, and it genuinely sounds like they're walking. Then there's the buzz of the office. Just the idle sound of lights buzzing and fans blowing air is enough to send a chill down your spine. Now, here's the absolute genius of the office. Not the door slamming closed or the light switch clicking, no, no. It's the cupcake. If you click the cupcake inside of the office, then it will play a little honking noise. Ooh, it's so cute. It's bound to fill you with cute aggression. That feeling that appears when you see something so cute, you'll just squeeze it to death. And finally, there's the in-game death. Ran out of power? Yowch. Not good for you. Freddy will visit you inside of your office as everything goes dark. Then, he'll play a little song for you. Though it's a jolly little tune, the atmosphere previously set by the other audio affects your current perception of the song. Now it's creepy and causes frisson. What's frisson? It's that feeling when you hear a song and you feel goosebumps on your skin. Whether it because it makes you feel happy, sad, scared, or even angry. This one in particular makes you feel scared, so the frisson once again appears just before you get jump-scared. <laughs> okay, that was fun. I liked that. Well, that's all I've got written down for now. In the meantime, I suggest checking out the other Out of Place podcast segments. They have some pretty good things going on there. Now, this is Samuelicious at the Boombox, and I hope you have a spectacular day! Now, anyone want pizza? I love the Five Nights at Freddy's franchise. If you want to hear our audio drama we did in the FNAF World last Halloween special, check it out. It's called What in the Batman Fazbear? Okay, it looks like he's ready. Listeners, we take you now to Grover's Mill, New Jersey with Alex Hopper. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Alex Hopper again at the Wilmoth Farm, Grover's Mill, New Jersey. Professor Pearson and myself uh, made the 11 miles from Princeton rather quickly. Well, I I hardly know where to begin uh, to paint you a word picture of the strange scene before my eyes, like something out of a Marvel movie. Well, I just got here. Uh, I haven't had a chance to look around yet. I guess that's it. Yes, I guess that's the the thing directly in front of me. Half buried in a vast pit. Must have struck with the terrific force. Uh, The ground is covered with splinters. Um, of a tree. It must have struck on its way down. 
what I can see of the object itself, uh, doesn't look much like a meteor. At least not the meteors I've seen. It looks more like a huge cylinder. It has a diameter of, uh, well, uh, what would you say, Professor Pearson? What, what would you say, what is the diameter? Mm, about 30 yards. About 30 yards. The metal on the sheath is, well, I've never seen anything like it. The color is sort of yellow-ish, white. Curious spectators are now pressing close to the object in spite of the efforts of the police to keep them back. They're getting in front of my line of vision. Would you mind standing to one side, please? One side there. Stay to one side. While the policemen are pushing the crowd back, here's Mr. Wilmoth, owner of the farm here. He may have some interesting facts to add. Mr. Wilmoth, would you please tell the out-of-place listeners as much as you remember of this rather unusual visitor that dropped in in your backyard? Step closer, please. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mr. Wilmoth. Well, I was listening to a podcast. Uh, Closer and louder, please. Pardon me? Louder, please. And closer. Yes, sir. While I was listening to the podcast and kind of drowsing, that professor fellow was talking about Mars. So I was half dozing off. Yes, yes, Mr. Wilmoth. Then what happened? As I was saying, I was listening to the podcast kind of halfway. Yes, Mr. Wilmoth. And then you saw something? Not first off. I heard something. And... What did you hear? A hissing sound, like this. Kind of like a 4th of July rocket. Then what? Turned my ear out the window, and I would have swore I was to sleep and dreaming. Yes? I seen a kind of greenish streak, and then Zingo, something smacked the ground. Knocked me clear out my chair. Were you frightened? Mr. Wilmoth? Well, I, I ain't sure. I reckon I was kind of right. Thank you, Mr. Wilmoth. Want Thank me to tell you something? No, more? that's quite all right. That's plenty. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just heard Mr. Wilmoth, owner of the farm, where this thing has fallen. I wish I could convey the atmosphere, the background of this fantastic scene. Hundreds of cars are parked in a field in the back of us. Police are trying to rope off the roadway leading to the farm, but it's no use. They're breaking right through. Cars' headlights through an enormous spot on the pit where the object's half-buried. Some of the more daring souls are now venturing near the edge. Their silhouettes stand out against the metal sheet. One man wants to touch the thing. He's having an argument with a policeman. The policeman wins. Now, the ladies and gentlemen, there's something I haven't mentioned in all this excitement. But now it's becoming more distinct. Perhaps you've caught it already on your phone. Listen. Do you hear it? It's a curious humming sound that seems to come from inside the object. I'll move the microphone nearer. Now we're not more than 25 feet away. Can you hear it now? Oh, Professor Pearson, can you tell us the meaning of the scraping noise inside the thing? Possibly. The unequal cooling of its surface. I see. Do you still think it's a meteor, Professor? I don't know what to think. The metal casing is definitely extraterrestrial. Not found in this Earth. Friction with the Earth's atmosphere usually tears holes in a meteorite. This thing is smooth and, as you can see, of cylindrical shape. Just a minute. 
Something's happening. Ladies and gentlemen, this is terrific. The end of the thing is beginning to flake off. The top is beginning to rotate like a screw. This thing must be hollow. She's moving. Look, the darn thing's unscrewing. Keep back, I Maybe tell you. Maybe it's trying to escape. Keep back there. Keep those idiots back. She's off. Look out the there. Loose. Stand back. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the most terrifying thing I have ever witnessed. Wait a minute. Someone's crawling out of the hollow top. Someone or... Some... Thing. I can see peering out of the black hole two luminous discs. Are they... Eyes? It must be... Uh, a face? It might be? Good heavens. Something's wriggling out of the shadow like a gray snake. Now it's another one. And another... They look like tentacles to me. There, I can see a thing's body. It's large. Large as a bear. It glistens like a wet leather. But that face, it's... Ladies and gentlemen, it's indescribable. I can hardly force myself to keep looking at it. The, the eyes are black and clean like a serpent. The mouth is V-shaped with saliva dripping from the rimless lips. That seem to quiver and pulsate. The monster, or whatever it is, can hardly move. It seems weighed down by possibly gravity or something. The thing's raising up. The crowd falls back now. They've seen plenty. This is the most extraordinary experience. I can't find words. I'll pull this microphone with me as I talk. I'll have to stop the description until I can take a new position. Hold on, will you please? I'll be back in a minute. Okay, so we're trying to bring you an eyewitness account of what's happening on the Wilmoth Farm. Just uh, give us a moment while Alex is setting up there. Uh, in the meantime, please enjoy the Wine and Shine segment with the wonderful, lovely Luna. And welcome back to the Wine and Shine podcast. It is your lovely, lovely host, or at least I hope lovely, Luna the Cat. I'm drinking Stella Rosa blueberry wine. That's right, blueberry wine. At first, I was skeptical. It's kind of like blueberry wine, but I've had so many bottles of this sh- that I don't care. <laughs> but it's delicious and I recommend it. Hopefully, by my next podcast sometime, I will be trying the spell bound wines, uh, the Chardonnay, because I really, really, really want to try that. I think that'll be fun. In today's episode, I want to say happy October. It is finally spooky season or spooky month. You know what I mean? I am super, super excited. Fall is my all time favorite season. It's like everything is so freaking magical and I just love it. So I just want to say that in today's podcast, I'm going to um go ahead and give you guys a thumbs up. I was thinking about doing spooky episodes of the wine and shine podcast because i figured you know hey let's get in the freaking mood for halloween whoop whoop does anybody else feel like nobody gets as hyped 
for Halloween as they used to. It's just insane. It's like I feel like Halloween isn't as fun as it was when we were kids or even for kids these days. It just seems like everything has changed, which it has, which is understandable. Things do change and that's pretty inevitable, but I definitely miss that exciting feeling I would get for Halloween. And I'm getting all emotional about Halloween, aren't I? In this episode, I am going to talk about two of my favorite horror flicks of 2022 and these movies are flawless or at least to me they are flawless i don't know if anybody else would think so um i do know that so far these movies have gotten rave reviews and i am just all for that because i feel like these movies really should get the recognition that they deserve the first movie that i'm going to talk about is x X is a movie that came out in March of this year during the springtime. Um, it's directed and written by Ty West. I was not familiar with Ty West before all of this, but apparently I did watch one of his movies a while back, but I didn't really pay attention to the director or anything like that. I was just watching the movie. It was Cabin in the Woods. I think he directed the second one. Cabin in the Wood movies are <laughs> bizarre. Like, I can deal... I can deal? I'll sound like a valley girl. I can deal with, like, horror movies with blood in it and stuff like that, but it's like, I didn't really care about all the gruesome goriness of it. It's whatever. But, you know, like, sometimes I just don't care for it. <sighs> Okay, anyways, The Cabin in the Woods is just like a really freaking bizarre movie. It was really weird. It didn't really make the list as one of my favorite movies, but hey, it's okay. I remember watching the trailer for X in January and I was like, this movie looks weird. Like, I don't know who the f*** is going to see this movie, but I ended up watching the trailer like a thousand times and I was like, yeah, I definitely want to see this. So I went to the theaters to see it and heads up, do not see this movie with your family. It's not a family movie, okay? I'm gonna tell you that right now. X, not a movie that you can take the kids to. No, no, no. <laughs> the first time I saw it, I took my mom and my brother. And I already knew what I was going into. We're all grown adults, so it's fine. Definitely awkward watching that movie with my family. I was like, yeah, um, okay. Because it is a movie about porn stars who go off to rural Texas to film a pornography on a farm. And their host is this elderly couple who have been married for ages and they are dealing with getting older and low sex drive and everything that comes with aging. You can relate to the movie on both spectrums as a young individual or as an older individual, but you can see from both perspectives, older people having sex. It's kind of a taboo kind of thing and nobody wants to see old people food, right? I don't know, but that's actually one of the lines in the movie. Well, except this kind of backwards. I'm trying to keep this spoiler free, but then again, the movie's been out for four freaking months, so it's okay. So the scene when Howard and Pearl were making love. <laughs> a lot of people talk about that scene. I think that was one of the scenes that stood out the most to people, and it was definitely memorable. But another element that I love in the movie is um, the idea of, you know, being young and trying to follow your dreams and 
And, you know, you want to be someplace better than where you are or where you came from because you feel like, you know, you're destined for bigger things and you want to have a better life. You want to just do something that is not your current life and you would do anything to, you know, get out of there. Right now, obviously, I relate to Maxine Minx, who is the main character in the movie. She is played by Mia Goth, who is a fantastic actress. Like, she is my favorite actress right now. Like, my God, I love her. She does a phenomenal job as both Maxine and Pearl. I was surprised to learn that she was playing Pearl because on set, nobody knew that she was playing um, Pearl. It was even kept from cast members. Awesome surprise to learn that. She's freaking talented. So um, Maxine is a young woman who I would assume to be in her early 20s. She is an exotic dancer and she dreams of, you know, becoming an actress and her boyfriend slash manager, which is a freaking kind of weird relationship. Wayne, um, he has this million dollar idea of, you know, filming a porno. And this movie takes place in the 70s, 1979 to be exact. And well, I guess in those times that was kind of like the golden era of porn. I don't know. I wasn't here in the 70s, so I I don't know. I definitely did my research and that was the time of the sexual revolution. The thing that I love about this movie is that it paints sex as this not so taboo subject to talk about. I don't know how uncomfortable people will feel with talking about sex. I feel like some people are shy away from it because it's so taboo and some people are really open about it. And I love the idea of being open about sex because I feel like it's natural, obviously. It's how we all got here, I'm pretty sure, you know? It's phenomenal. So I love the message behind that in the movie. I also loved Scott Miscuddy, aka Kid Cuddy's performance. I believe that was his first horror movie role and he did a fantastic job. I really loved um, him as Jackson. It was just really wonderful. And I also love the scene when Brittany Snow sang Landslide by Feetwood Mac. <laughs> Fleetwood Mac. It's Fleetwood Mac, not Feetwood Mac. You guys know what I mean. She did a phenomenal cover of that and it was beautiful. I loved it. I definitely wish that they would drop that on Spotify. Um, whoever's listening, hey, A24. I really wish they had um, released that on Spotify because her cover of Landslide is gorgeous. When the killings start in the movie, I would say that Britney Snow's um, character's death, which is she plays Bobby Lynn. Her death was the most memorable to me because it was terrifying. It's like Pearl is apparently best friends with an alligator, which you will see in the movie Pearl. I think the alligator was named after Theta Barra. But anyways, when Bobby Lynn is out looking for Jackson and Wayne, she finds Pearl, you know, near the lake and she's naked. And so um, Bobby Lynn rushes out to, you know, give her a blanket and help this poor old woman out. But it turns out that she ain't no poor old woman. She ends up slapping Bobby Lynn in the face and Bobby Lynn was like, what the heck? And then they have this mini argument and then Pearl pushes her right in the lake and Theta just comes and freaking puts Bobby Lynn in a death roll. Oh my God, that was just terrifying. Her screams were just like the blood curdling screams. Also, speaking of blood curdling screams, shout out to Jenna Ortega. Phenomenal performance as well. And that scream, girl, 
Yes, yes. It's one of those movies that more than meets the eye. Just take the whole、um, cliche, don't judge a book by its cover kind of thing. And with Pearl,、uh, that recently just came out, and I don't want to do any spoilers, so I'm just going to say that it is my second favorite movie of this year. I would say X is the first part of the trilogy to come out. Pearl is the prequel to X, and I don't think that you have to watch them in order. You can watch X first, which I highly recommend, and then watching Pearl. Or you can watch Pearl first and then watch X. But with Pearl, the movie is set in 1918. Definitely love the Technicolor aspect of it. It's really really good. It took place in 1918, like I said, during the Spanish flu. Pearl, she really wants to get off her farm in Texas and pursue her dream as a dancer. She wants to be one of the girls in the pictures, you know, dancing and smiling and all of that. And it's just really sad to see her go through that and. It's relatable to you know want to be following your dreams and having things holding you back because life circumstances or. Whatever it is, so I thought that was really relatable. Mia Goth does a really amazing job. I think that this should be the stepping stone to her getting nominated for an Oscar because her filmography is amazing. I definitely recommend watching these two movies during spooky season because you will not regret it. And I think that if you really take time to digest both movies, you can really enjoy it. It's an enjoyable movie. Anyways, you guys, thank you so so much for listening, and I. Hope you guys enjoyed this podcast, and I will see you guys in the next one. Keep on shining. <laughs> no, that's cheesy, but bye, guys. We now return you to Alex Hopper at Grover's Mill. Ladies and gentlemen, am I on? Ladies and gentlemen, here I am, back a a stone wall that adjoins Mr. Wilma's garden. From here, I can get a sweep of the whole scene. I'll give you every detail as long as I can talk, as long as I can see. More state police have arrived. They're drying up a cordon in front of the pit. About thirty of them. No need to push the crowd back now. They're willing to keep their distance. The captain is conferring with someone. We can't quite see who, but oh yes, I believe it's Professor Pearson. Yes, it is. Now they've parted. The professor moves around one side, studying the object, while the captain and two police advance with something in their hands. I can see it now. It's a white handkerchief tied to a pole, a flag of truce. If those creatures know what that means, what anything means, wait! Something's happened. A humped shape is rising out of the pit. I can make out a small beam of light against a mirror. What's that? There's a jet of flame springing from the mirror, and, and it leaps right across the advancing men. It strikes them on the head. Good Lord, they're turning into flames. Now the whole field's caught on fire. The woods, the barns, the gas tanks, the automobiles—it's spreading everywhere. It's coming this way, about twenty meters to my. Out of placers due to circumstances beyond our control, we are unable to continue the broadcast from Grover's Mill. Evidently, there's some difficulty with our field transmission. However, we will return to that point at the earliest opportunity. In the meantime, we have a late bulletin from San Diego, California.
Professor Endo Koffer, speaking at a dinner of the California Astronomical Society, expressed the opinion that the explosions on Mars are undoubtedly nothing more than severe volcanic disturbances on the surface of the planet. We now continue with the episode.
Welcome back, listeners. I have just been handed a message that came in from Grover's Mill. Just a moment. At least 40 people, including six state troopers, lie dead in a field east of the village of Grover's Mill. Their bodies burned and distorted beyond all possible recognition. The next voice you will hear will be that of Brigadier General Montgomery Smith, commander of the state militia at Trenton, New Jersey. I have been requested by the governor of New Jersey to place the counties of Mercer and Middlesex as far west as Princeton and east to Jamesburg under martial law. No one will be permitted to enter this area except by special pass issued by the state or military authorities. Four companies of state militia are proceeding from Trenton to Grover's Mill and will aid in the evacuation of homes within the range of military operations. Thank you. You have just been listening to General Montgomery Smith commanding the state militia at Trenton. In the meantime, further details of the catastrophe at Grover's Mill are coming in. The strange creatures, after unleashing their deadly assault, crawled back into their pit and made no attempt to prevent the efforts of the firemen to recover the bodies and extinguish the fires. Combined fire departments at Mercer County are fighting the flames, which menace the entire countryside. We have been unable to establish any contact with our mobile unit at Grover's Mill, but we hope to be able to return you there at the earliest moment possible. In the meantime, please enjoy... Just one minute, please. Listeners, I have just been informed that we finally established communication with eyewitnesses of the tragedy. Professor Pearson has been located at a farm near Grover's Mill where she has established an emergency observation point. As a scientist, she will give you her explanation of the calamity. The next voice you will hear will be that of Professor Pearson. Just one moment. Professor Pearson, can you hear us? Yes. What's going on there? What information can you give us? creatures in the rocket cylinder at Grover's Mill, I can give you no authoritative information, either as to their nature, their origin, or their purposes here on Earth of their destructive instrument. I might venture some conjectural explanation. For lack of a better term, I shall refer to the mysterious weapon as a heat ray. It's all too evident that these creatures have scientific knowledge far in advance of our own. It is my guess that in some way they are able to generate an intense heat in a chamber of practically absolutely no conductivity. This intense heat they project in a parallel beam against any object they choose by means of a polished parabolic mirror of unknown composition. Much as a mirror of a lighthouse projects a beam of light. That is my conjecture of the origin of the heat ray. Thank you, Professor Pearson. Listeners, here is a bulletin from Trenton. It is a brief statement informing us that the charred body of Alex Hopper has been identified in a Trenton hospital. Now, here's another bulletin from Washington, D.C. Office of the Director of the National Red Cross reports 10 units of Red Cross emergency workers have been assigned to the headquarters at the state militia stationed outside Grover's Mill, New Jersey. Here is a bulletin from the state police, Princeton Junction. The fires at Grover's Mill and vicinity are now under control. Scouts report all quiet in the pit and no signs of life appearing from the mouth of the cylinder. And now, listeners, we have a special statement from Mr. Harry McDonald, Vice President in Charge of Operations. We have received a request from the militia at Trenton to place at the disposal our entire broadcasting facilities. In view of the gravity of the situation, and believing that Out of Place has a responsibility to serve in the public interest at all times, we are turning over our facilities to the state militia at Trenton.
we take you now to the field headquarters of the state militia, New Grover's Mill, New Jersey. This is Captain Lansing of the Signal Corp, attached to the state militia now engaged in military operations in the vicinity of Grover's Mill. Situation arising from the reported presence of certain individuals of unidentified nature is now under complete control. The cylindrical object, which lies in a pit directly below our position, is surrounded on all sides by eight battalions of infantry, without heavy field pieces, but adequately armed with rifles and machine guns. All cause for alarm, if such cause ever existed, is now entirely unjustified. The things, whatever they are, do not even venture to poke their heads above the pits. I can see their hiding places plainly in the glare of the searchlights here. With all their reported resources, these creatures can scarcely stand up against heavy machine gun fire. Anyway, it's an interesting outing for the troops. I can make out their khaki uniforms crossing back and forth in front of the lights. It looks almost like a real war. There appears to be some slight smoke in the woods bordering the Millstone River. Probably fire started by campers. Well, we ought to see some action soon. One of our companies is deploying on the left flank. A quick thrust, and it will be all over. Now, wait a minute! I see something on top of the cylinder. No, it's nothing but a shadow. Now, the troops are on the edge of the Wilmoth Farm. 7,000 armed men, closing in on an old metal tube. Wait, that wasn't a shadow. It's something moving. Solid metal. Kind of shield-like affair rising up out of the cylinder. It's going higher and higher. Why, it's standing on legs actually rearing up on a sort of metal framework. Now it's reaching above the trees and the searchlights are on it. Hold! Out of placers, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observation of science, the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmlands tonight are the vanguard of an invading army from the planet Mars. The battle which took place tonight at Grover's Mill has ended in one of the most startling defeats ever suffered by any army in modern times. 7,000 soldiers armed with rifles and machine guns pitted against a single fighting machine of the invaders from Mars. 120 known survivors, the rest strewn over the battle area from Grover's Mill to Plainsboro, crushed and trampled to death under the metal feet of the monster, or burned to cinders by its heat ray. The monster is now in control of the middle section of New Jersey and have effectively cut the state through its center. Communication lines are down from Pennsylvania to the Atlantic Ocean. Railroad tracks are torn and service from New York to Philadelphia discontinued, except routing some of the trains through Allentown and Phoenixville. Highways to the north, south, and west are clogged with frantic human traffic. Police and army reserves are unable to control the mad flight. By morning, the fugitives will have swelled 
Philadelphia, Camden, and Trenton. At this time, martial law prevails throughout New Jersey and eastern Pennsylvania. We're taking out of Washington for a special broadcast on the national emergency. The Secretary of the Interior. Citizens of the nation, I shall not try to conceal the gravity of the situation that confronts the country, nor the concern of your government in protecting the lives and property of its people. However, I wish to impress upon you, private citizens and public officials, all of you, the urgent need of calm and resourceful action. Fortunately, this formidable enemy is still confined to a comparatively small area, and we may place our faith in the military forces to keep them there. In the meantime, placing our faith in God, we must continue to the performance of our duties, each and every one of us, so that we may confront this destructive adversary with the nation united, courageous, and consecrated to the preservation of human supremacy on this earth. I thank you. You have just heard from the Secretary of the Interior speaking from Washington. Bulletins too numerous to read are piling up in the studio here. We are informed that the central portion of New Jersey is blacked out from radio communication due to the effect of the heat ray upon power lines and electrical equipment. Here is a special bulletin from New York. Cables received from English, French, and German scientific bodies offering assistance. Astronomers report continued gas outbursts at regular intervals on the planet Mars. Majority voice opinion that the enemy will be reinforced by additional heavy artillery. Attempts made to locate Professor Pearson of Princeton, who observed the Martians at close range. It is feared that she was lost in recent battle. Langham Field, Virginia. Scouting planes report three Martian machines visible above treetops moving north toward Somerville with population fleeing ahead of them. Heat ray not in use, although advancing at express train speed. Invaders pick their way carefully. They seem to be making conscious effort to avoid destruction of cities and countryside. However, they stop to uproot power lines, bridges, and railroad tracks. Their apparent objective is to crush resistance, paralyze communication, and disorganize human society. Here is a bulletin from Basking Ridge, New Jersey. Hunters have stumbled upon a second cylinder similar to the first embedded in the Great Swamp 20 miles south of Morristown. Army field pieces are proceeding from Newark to blow up the second invading unit before cylinder can be opened and the fighting machine rigged. They are taking position in the foothills of Wachung Mountains. Another bulletin from Langham Field, Virginia. Scouting planes reported enemy machines, now three in number, increasing speed northward, kicking over houses and trees in their evident haste to form a conjunction with their allies south of Morristown. Machines also sighted by telephone operator east of Middlesex within 10 minutes of Plainfield. Here's a bulletin from Winston Field, Long Island. Fleet of army bombers carrying heavy explosive flying north in pursuit of enemy. Scouting planes act as guides. They keep speeding enemy in sight. Just a moment, please. Listeners, I'm being told we've run special wires to the artillery line in adjacent villages to give you direct reports in the zone of the advancing enemy. First, we take you to the battery of the 22nd Field Artillery located in the Wachung Mountains. Stay tuned. Range, 32 meters. 32 meters. Projection, 39 degrees. 39 degrees. Fire. 
140 yards to the right, sir. Shift range, 31 meters. 31 meters. Projection, 37 degrees. 37 degrees. Fire. A hit, sir. We've got the tripod of one of them. They've stopped. The others are trying to repair it. Quick, get the range. Shift 30 meters. 30 meters. Projection, 27 degrees. Fire. I can't see the shell land, sir. They're letting off smoke. Smoke? A black smoke, sir. Moving this way. Lying close to the ground. It's moving fast. Put on gas masks. Get ready to fire. Shift 24 meters. 24 meters. Projection, 24 degrees. 24 degrees. Fire. I still can't see, sir. The smoke's coming nearer. <coughs> Get the range. <coughs> it looks like we lost connection there. Just a moment. Okay. We take you to Army Bombing Plane V843 off Bayonne, New Jersey. Lieutenant Vaught commanding eight bombers. Just a moment. Reporting to Commander Fairfax, Langham Field. This is Commander Vaught. Enemy tripod machines now in sight. Reinforced by three machines from the Morrison Town Cylinder. Six altogether. One machine already crippled. Believed hit by wheel from army gun in Watchtongue Mountain. Guns now appear silent. A heavy black fog hanging close to the ground of extreme density. Nature unknown. No sign of heat ray. Enemy now turns east, crossing Passaic River into the Jersey Marshes. Another straddles the Poliski Skyway. They're pushing down a high-tension power station. The machines are close together now, and we're ready to attack. Plane circling, ready to strike. A thousand yards and we'll be over the first. Eight hundred yards. Six hundred. Four hundred. Two hundred. There they go. The giant arm raised. Green flash. They're spraying us with flames. Two thousand feet. Engines are giving out. No chance to release bombs. Only one thing left. Drop on them. Plane and all. We're diving on the first one. Now. The engine's gone. Eight. This is Bayonne, New Jersey calling Langham Field. This is Bayonne, New Jersey calling Langham Field. Come in, please. This is Langham Field. Go ahead. Eight army bombers in engagement with enemy tripod machines over Jersey Flats. Engines in capacities by heat rate. All crash. One enemy machine destroyed. Enemy on discharging, heavy black smoke in direction of- This is Newark, New Jersey. This is Newark, New Jersey. Warning. Poisonous black smoke pouring in from Jersey marshes reaches South Street. Gas masks useless. Urge population to move onto open spaces. Automobiles use Route 7, 23, 24. Avoid congested areas. Smoke now spreading over Raymond Boulevard. 2X2L, calling CQ. 2X2L. Calling CQ. 2X2L. Calling 8X3R. Come in, please. This is 8X3R. Coming back at 2X2L. How's reception? Hold on. Okay, please. Where are you, 8X3R? What's the matter? Where are 
Listeners, we're going to play you one last song as I head to the rooftop with one of our mobile units. Once I'm up there, I'll explain what I see. Stay tuned. people to evacuate the city as the Martians approach. Estimated in the last two hours, three million people have moved out along the roads to the north. Hutchinson River Parkway still kept open for motor traffic. Please avoid bridges to Long Island. It's jammed. All communications with Jersey Shore closed 10 minutes ago. Uh, 
There are no defenses. Our army wiped out. Army, Air Force, everything wiped out. This may be the last broadcast. I'm going to stay here to the end. You see people that are holding a service below us in the cathedral. You could probably hear them saying hymns. I could see down the harbor, all manner of boats are overloaded with fleeing population. They're all pulling out from the docks. Never seen so many boats all at once out there. Streets are all jammed. The noise here, it's, it's, it's like if it was New Year's Eve, but there's nothing to celebrate today. Wait a minute. And I mean, now it's inside of the Palisades. Five, yeah, yeah, five great machines. First one is crossing the river. I can see it from here. Just been handed a bulletin now. Martian cylinders are falling all over the country. One outside Buffalo, one in Chicago, St. Louis. It all seems to be timed and spaced. Now the first machine reaches the shore. It's just watching. It's just looking over the city. It's steel, cowlish head. It's even with the skyscrapers. It's tall. It waits for the other ones to meet up. They, they look like, like new buildings. They look like buildings themselves. Now they're lifting their metal hands. This is the end now, listeners. I feel it. This is it. What we've seen in the movies. This is the end. Smoke coming out. Black smoke. It's drifting over the city. People in the streets are seeing it now too, and they're all running towards the East River. It's just thousands of them. Now with the smoke, the, the smoke, as they're running, they're dropping like rats. It's, the smoke is, now the smoke is spreading faster. It's just going so fast. It's just reached Times Square. People are trying to run away from it, but it's no use. They're falling like flies. Now the smoke's crossing the 6th Avenue, 5th Avenue, 100 yards away, 5th... <coughs> 2X2L, calling CQ. 2X2L, calling CQ. 2X2L, calling CQ. New York, isn't there anyone on the air? Hello? Anyone! 2X2... Pearson here. I found this recording device. I figured I should document my notes on this device and on paper. I'm... I'm obsessed by the thought that I may be the last living woman on Earth. I have been hiding in this empty house near Grover's Mill. A small island of daylight cut off by the black smoke from the rest of the world. All that happened before the arrival of these monstrous creatures in the world now seems part of another life. A life that has no continuity with the present. Further to the existence of the lonely derelict who pencils these words on the back of some astronomical notes bearing the signature, Rosalind Pearson. I look down at my blackened hands, my torn shoes, my tattered clothes, 
and I tried to connect them with the professor who lives at Princeton and who, on the night of October 30th, glimpsed through her telescope and witnessed an orange flash of light on a distant planet. My husband, my colleagues, my students, my books, my observatory, my... my world. Where are they? Does time pass when there are no human hands left to wind the clocks? In writing down my daily life, I tell myself shall I preserve human history between the dark covers of this little book that was meant to record the movements of the stars? But to write, I must live, and to live, I must eat. I find moldy bread in the kitchen and an orange not too spoiled to swallow. I keep watch of the window. From time to time, I catch sight of a Martian above the black smoke. The smoke still holds the house in its black coil, but at length, there is a hissing sound and suddenly I see a Martian mounted on its machine, spraying the air with a jet of steam, as if to dissipate the smoke. I watch in a corner as its huge metal legs nearly brush against the house. Exhausted by terror, I must sleep. It's morning. Morning! Sun streams in the window. The black cloud of gas has lifted, and the scorched meadows of to the north look as though a black snowstorm has passed over them. I venture from the house. I make my way to a road. No traffic. Here and there a wrecked car, baggage overturned, a blackened skeleton. I push on north. For some reason I feel safer trailing these monsters than running away from them. And I keep a careful watch. I have seen these Martians feed. Should one of their machines appear over the top of the trees, I'm ready to fling myself flat on the earth. I come to a chestnut tree. October chestnuts are ripe. I fill my pockets. I must keep alive. Two days I wander in a vague northerly direction through a desolate world. Finally, I notice a living creature. A small red squirrel in a beech tree. I stare at him in wonder. He stares back at me. I believe that moment the animal and I share the same emotion. The joy of finding another living being. I push on north. I find dead cows in a brackish field beyond the charred ruins of a dairy. The silo remains standing guard over the wasteland like a lighthouse deserted by the sea. Astride the silo perches a weathercock. The arrow points north. Next day, I came to a city vaguely familiar in its contours. It is building strangely dwarfed and leveled off, as if a giant hand slipped off its highest towers with a capricious sweep of its hand. I reached the outskirts. I found Newark undemolished but humbled by whim of the advancing Martians. Presently, with an odd feeling of being watched, I caught sight of something crouching in a doorway. I made a step towards it and it rose up and became a person. Someone armed with a large knife. Stop right there. Where the hell did you come from? I come from many places a long time ago from Princeton. Princeton, huh? That's near Grover's Mill. <laughs> That's where I lost my best friend. Listen, there's no food here. This is my country. All this and a town all the way to the river. There's only food for one. Which way you going? I... I don't know. I guess I'm looking for 
Keep quiet. Did you hear something? Only a bird. Oh. That's the first bird I've seen. Not since. many birds. Not many anything. Hey, we're in the open here. Let's crawl into this doorway and talk. Have you seen any Martians? Nah, they've gone over to New York. At night, the sky is alive with the lights. Just as if the Pope was still living in it. By daylight, you can't see them. Five days ago, a couple of them carried something big across the flats from the airport. I believe they're learning to fly. Fly? Mm-hmm. Then it's all over with humanity. Stranger, there's still you and I. They got themselves in solid. They wrecked the greatest country in the world. Those green stars? They're probably falling somewhere every night. They've only lost one machine. There isn't anything to do. We're done. We're licked. Where were you during that time? I see that you're in uniform. Were you part of the militia? I don't think that's your business. It's a war unlike any war I've read about or seen. Wasn't any war any more than there's war between men and ants? And were eatable ants? Found that out. What do you think they'll do with us? I've thought it all out. Right now, we're caught as we're wanted. The Martian only has to go a few miles to get a crowd on the run. But they won't keep doing that. They'll begin catching us systematic-like. Keeping the best and storing us in cages and things. They haven't even begun on us yet. What do you mean? All that's happened so far is because we don't have sense enough to keep quiet. Bothering them with guns and stuff and losing our heads and and rushing off in crowds. Now instead of rushing around blind, we've got to fix ourselves up. Fix ourselves up according to the way things are now. Cities, nations, civilization, progress. Done. All done. But if that's so, what is there to live for? Well, there won't be any more concerts for a million years or so. And no nice little fancy dinners at fancy restaurants. If it's amusement you're after, I guess the game's up. And what is there left? Life. That's what? I want to live. And it looks like so do you. We're not going to be exterminated. And I don't mean to be caught either. Tamed and fattened and bred like an ox. What are you going to do? I've got a plan. We as people are finished. We don't know enough. We've got to learn plenty before we've got a chance. We've got to live and keep free while we learn, see? I've thought it all out. Go on. Well, it isn't all of us that were made for wild beasts. And that's what it's gotta be. That's why I watched you. All these little office workers that used to live in these pre-fancy houses. They'd be no good. They haven't any stuff to them. They just used to run off to work. 
I've seen hundreds of them running wild to catch the commuter train in the morning for fear they'd get canned if they didn't. Running back at night, afraid they won't be in time for dinner. Lives insured and a little invested in case of accidents. And on Sundays, worried about the hereafter. The Martians will be a godsend for those guys. Nice roomy cages, good food, careful breeding, no worries. After a week or so chasing about on the fields, on empty stomachs, they'll come and be glad to be caught. You've thought it all out, haven't you? You bet I have. And that isn't all. These Martians will make pets of some of them. Training them, training them to do tricks. Who knows? Maybe get sentimental over the pet boy who grew up and had to be killed. And some, maybe, maybe they'll train to hunt us. No, that's impossible. No yes, human being- they will. There's men who will do it gladly. If one of them ever comes after me, In why the meantime, I- you and I, and others like us, where are we to live when the Martians own the Earth? I told you, I've got it all figured out. We'll live underground. I've been thinking about the sewers under New York are miles and miles of them. The main ones are big enough for anybody. Then there's cellars, vaults, underground storage rooms, railway tunnels, subways. You begin to see, eh? And we'll get a bunch of strong people together. No weak ones. That's rubbish. Out. And you meant me to go? Well, I gave you a chance, didn't I? We won't quarrel about that. Go on. And, and we gotta make safe places for us to stay in. And get all the books we can. Science books and stuff. That's where people like you come in, see? We'll raid the museums. We'll even spy on the Martians. It may not be so much we have to learn. Just imagine this. Four or five of their own fighting machines suddenly start off. Heat rays right and left and not a Martian in them. Picture that. Not a Martian in them. But humans. Humans who have learned the way how. It may even be in our time. Think about it. Imagine having one of them lovely things with its heat ray wild and free. We turn it on Martians. We turn it on people. We'd bring everybody to their knees. That's your plan? You, me, and a few more of us, we'd own the world. I see. What's the matter? Where are you going? Not to your world. Goodbye, stranger. After parting with the stranger, I came at last to the Holland Tunnel. I entered that silent tube, anxious to know the fate of the great city on the other side of the Hudson. Cautiously, I came out the tunnel and made my way up Canal Street. 
I reached 14th Street, and there again were black powder and several bodies, and an evil ominous smell from the gratings of the cellars of some of the houses. I wandered up through the 30s and 40s. I stood alone on Times Square. I caught sight of a lean dog running down 17th Avenue with a piece of dark brown meat in his jaws, and a pack of starving mongrels at his heels. He made a wide circle around me, as though he feared I might prove a fresh competitor. I walked up Broadway in the direction of that strange powder, past silent shop windows displaying their mute wares to empty sidewalks, past the Capitol Theatre. Near Columbus Circle, I remembered a wonderful brunch I had at the Bluebird London. Different life, different time. From over the top of the General Motors building, I watched a flock of black birds circling in the sky. I hurried on. Suddenly I caught sight of the hood of a Martian machine standing somewhere in Central Park, gleaming in the late afternoon sun. An insane idea! I rushed recklessly across Columbus Circle and into the park. I climbed a small hill above the pond at 16th Street. From there, I could see standing in a silent row along the mall, 19 of those great metal titans, their cows empty, their great steel arms hanging litlessly by their sides. I looked in vain for the monsters that inhabit those machines. Suddenly, my eyes were attracted to the immense flock of black birds that hovered directly below me. They circled to the ground, and there before my eyes, stark and silent, lay the Martians, with the hungry birds pecking and tearing brown shreds of flesh from their dead bodies. Later, when their bodies were examined in the laboratories, it was found that they were killed by the putreactive and disease bacteria against their systems were unprepared. Slain. After all, man's defenses had failed by the humblest thing that God in his wisdom put upon this earth. Before the cylinder fell, there was a general persuasion that through all the deep of space, no life existed beyond the petty surface of our minute sphere. Now we see further. Dim and wonderful is the vision I have conjured up in my mind of life spreading slowly from this little seedbed of the solar system throughout the innate vastness of sidereal space. <sighs> but that is a remote dream. It may be that the destruction of the Martians is only a reprieve. To them, and not to us, is the future ordained, perhaps. Strange it now seems to sit in my peaceful study at Princeton, writing down this last chapter of the record begun at a deserted farm in Grovesville. Strange to see from my window the university spires dim and blue through an April haze. Strange to watch children playing in the streets. Strange to see young people strolling on the green, where the new spring grass heals the last black scars of a bruised earth. Strange to watch the sightseers into the museum, where the disembled parts of a Martian machine are kept on public view. Strange when I recall the time when I first saw it, bright and clean, cut hard and silent, under the dawn of that last great day.